Hey everybody, what's going on? Modulator Bay time. Anyway, it's been a while since I've been on Modulator Bay, but uh, I have to say we had a great conversation this last time. Caught up on what's going on with uh, Hayes and uh, Mr. Basic, so just go ahead and pull up the easy chair and enjoy. Uh, we'll see you on the other end, and if you want some information on these guys, I'll definitely link them into the podcast so you can check out Hayes and Mr. Basic's YouTube channel. So thanks again and enjoy the show. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Modulator Bay, uh, episode 13, where uh, we talk about music production and all sorts of different stuff, um, and just hang out and all that, and then have good, good conversation. And um, yeah, so once again, we have Audio Surgeon and Hayes Anderson are back. Hey, everybody. And <laughs> we haven't done one of these for a little while, and so I figure this is a good this is a good thing, a good summer thing, since I've I've uh, I've broken off from all my music. Uh, you know, uh, collaborations or anything like that uh, for the summer, um, mostly. And I think it's nice to have a show and just talk about how everything's been uh, and and everything. So nice to have you guys here. It's good to Thank be here. You. Thanks. Yeah. So Hayes, you were just talking about um, about moving. Moving is a good cure for gas. <laughs> That's absolutely true. <laughs> Yeah, I um, packing everything up was completely devastating. It made me want to just sell it all and maybe think about going completely DAW and VSTs. Yeah, well, I've kept all my boxes and and in a in a spot where they won't take up too much space. <laughs> I've kept most of my boxes. <laughs> yeah, that takes up a lot of room. I've got all of mine inside of these, you know, plastic bins, uh-huh. uh, which is good and bad. You can only fit so many, and you've got to fit them in a certain way. So. You can't keep things organized, like like things together very well. And man, I've been running through like the whole stack trying to find something, only to realize mm-hmm. it was way up here in the first one all along. I just didn't dig deep enough in that one. I yeah, should have labeled what was inside of everything. That would have been really smart. <laughs> totally. And then uh, you know detangling all cables and stuff. Yeah, I thought about there. labeling the cables as well as they were coming out, but then I realized, well, I'm going to set things up a little bit differently, and I want to try to optimize. So I'm not going to rely on necessarily using the same cables the same time, the second time around. So I just yanked everything and rolled everything up as best as I could. And that still, that whole process took like a good three to four hours, just getting all the uh-huh. cables out. Wow. wow. Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, that's not bad. Okay. <laughs> well, you did a good uh, well, job then. You know, I'm working. I mean, that was me working. Yeah, yeah, just nonstop. Nonstop. Oh yeah. my god. <laughs> yeah. Well, I had the hardest time enough. Just uh, di- I, a couple days ago, I actually went and jammed with some old friends. Nice. Who were not into anything electronic back then, and you know we were in a noise band and stuff like that together. And uh, but um, but it was all you know acoustic and weird stuff but that you know actually there was a guy who was doing this uh using fruity loops and doing doing the looping and stuff like that but but see i wasn't really aware of what he was doing and wasn't interested at the time and um neither were were these other uh um the other guys that i were uh, jamming with the other night this is just like oh i mean but the thing is, it's like they are kind of just went went the same route as me. I I'm sitting here thinking regionally, like it's just us that know about this stuff and that are into this stuff. And regionally, there's nobody but me, right? And then I find out my old friends just happen to have like 
like my old friend Dave, who's his birthday the other day, right? He just happened to get a DFAM and a subharmonicon. Nice. And, <laughs> and like, and he wants to get into it and st- stuff like that. And I, I think I, yeah, and we just, I'm like, oh my gosh, my old friend is, has gone the same route as me. And that's crazy. And the same thing with a couple others there. And it's just like, wow, you guys are all doing the same thing, getting the same thing. He, the other, other guy, he got the, got the peak just like at the same time as me, <laughs> you know? And like, and I got to actually, uh, look at some uh test out some other gear that i hadn't um tried before like the mini log xd and um and the sl mark three controller and see how how uh how it feels how the keybed feels mm-hmm. yeah and that that was yeah, cool I, they had a deep in- mine 12 i was interested in the uh, mini log xd i have the original one uh i like it a lot and isn't it like a four poly synth the Minilog XD, yeah, so. yeah, yeah. It's yeah. got the the three analog voices or three analog oscillators and the digital oscillator that can be uh, uh, you can put put banks of oscillators or whatever you want type of oscillators. Make them, you know, write them yourself or whatever, and put them in there. Uh, swap them out. Nice. And uh, and there's a whole community for that for that digital oscillator part mm-hmm. <laughs> of it. And then it has all the effects. So, oh yeah, the the built really effects good effects. Too. It has the best reverb. Nice, really? Oh my gosh, it was it was the best sound in the room so much of the time. Cool. Um, that I was there. We were just jamming and stuff like that. But I was gonna say like, just getting everything together and trying to put everything in the trunk. I took the the three tier rack here and the mono station mm-hmm. to maybe control it. But there were there was another mono station there already, and it wasn't going to be used either because we only had so much table space. We I, we doubled up on so many things because people are thinking the same way I am about this gear and like getting the same gear as me. I was like, what the heck? Like, it just <laughs> blew my mind. Like all night long, I'm like, these are like this is my old, like what's happening here? Like something's happening here, and that's like I've been kind of cloistered, I guess, in a way, just. Just putting out videos by myself and and well, I haven't know. experienced that yet. I did get one of my friends into this a bit, and he's acquired a few things. Uh, he has a son who is a musician as well, so he's been teaching him music, and it's not just been you know like hardware jamming. It's also been like more guitar oriented type kind of stuff, some acoustic instruments as well. And they've got a nice little uh, studio kind of jamming set up there in the living room. However, I've had a, a, a friend of mine contact me, and he wants to get together with another friend here in town who has been getting into synthesizers lately. So it's going to be interesting to see what this person has acquired, and I have no idea what uh-huh. I'm going to bring along. It's not going to be any of this stuff, that's for sure. And I, I'm going to have to bring a couple guitar pedals, and I'm like, well, you know, I really want to bring the Alexander Marshmallow, but I'm like, hmm, I want to bring up some of the more beat-up pedals, I think, instead. <laughs> Try to get some of the good-sounding ones that are just, you know, that I don't mind if they get kicked around marshmallow that sounds yeah cool. have you not heard of that one no oh it's like um it's this weird kind of pitch shifting delay huh. pedal that's its own beast really i got the pink one. Oh, pitch shifting delay is awesome yeah it, it's normally blue i wanted the toasted marshmallow one, the campfire edition which is like smoky uh-huh. Uh, gray, and then all the marshmallows are, are like toasted. <laughs> They're still happy though; they got smiley faces. <laughs> so yeah, it's it's a cool pedal. Alexander makes some really cool digital pedals. Like they're like way on the digital 
end of the spectrum. Yeah. My Which only means they fear, kind of sound pretty good with, with synthesizers. Sure. My only uh, fear would be is moving any of this gear. Like, I mean, like you said, you, you, you don't want to bring, like, the nice, shiny, like, new stuff. You know, try to bring the stuff that's, like, you know, got some use on it already. Because if I got a ding on my Sub-37, I'd be like, oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> well, like I that. contemplated bringing the peak, but I was just like, no. My, my, <laughs> like, my body said no. Like, no. <laughs> don't, yeah, put, don't, always... don't don't bring it but i do want to bring it out to a peak sometime i i asked i asked some people in the in the discord that i hang out in sometimes it's like what what hasn't been done with the peak like on videos and stuff it's like well take the peak up to a peak i was like oh i can do that <laughs> no I, I just not to interrupt i just uh made my decision i think i'm going to bring the korg ea1 and the er1 because I can just take them right out. They're kind of old and beat up anyways. And uh-huh. I can actually perform on them right there. That's the other thing is, you know, a lot of these synthesizers, how do you actually get something going on them? I mean, yeah. I must confess, I'm still not that mm-hmm. good behind a, T, a TB303 clone to just plug in a pattern and get it going just, you know, based on what I'm hearing and what other people are playing and get the right notes and, you know, no, 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 no. So you have but, some experience uh, on those old ones, then. Well, I mean, the uh, just, that old the e, the um, the EA one, um, just for me is uh-huh. one of the easiest synthesizers to perform on. Like I I can just play it if you see what I'm saying. Yeah. And I think it has something to do mm-hmm. with the fact that all the white keys and black keys are laid out in one row. Kind of like the the Volcas, like like the Volca bass, for example. Same thing. I don't know. Like, I, I don't have to think too much about what it is. I can just look at the distance and play a lot yeah. easier that way. Yeah. No, that's cool that you say that because, you know, that's that's one person who, strangely enough, uh, finds that to be better. Like, they, you know, they make it. They make it for reasons. But you'd, you'd wonder, like, uh, I mean, obviously, somebody who's used to the piano and a, as a piano player wouldn't like it. But hmm. no, probably not. But it feels the thing like is, one that, string on a guitar. Uh huh. <laughs> well, I certainly like the circuit uh, sort of thing, where um, you know, I don't like it when it's chromatic because it's because it's the two rows in rows. So I never know where the, the black key is supposed to be in between those or in between the others. You know, until you get used to it. But um. It's not the same, but so, but I do, what I do like is just to be in scale and to change the scale and to be in that scale and change the scale and be in that scale and just, and do them all in rows. And especially like the launch pad to have so many octaves, you know, it's like, whoa. Yeah. Uh, no, well that launch, no, the launch pad couldn't do that, but I mean, uh, potentially for something for a grid controller to do that. And the new launch pads, I believe, have that as an option for a keyboard and don't just do the isometric uh, layout, right? Mm-hmm. I've Not been researching. Sure, but those are all very, yeah. very interesting points because I think um, when people are looking for different interfaces that match their playing style and abilities, these really come into play. And it's, it's important to try different kinds, you know, like to realize that, oh, you know, if you've never... You know, like, okay, so the, the Volca bass is maybe a bad example because it's really small and it's just like, you know, an octave and a half or something, maybe two octaves. 
Uh, well, same thing with the EA-1, I guess. So there's really not going to be any synthesizers out there that are laid out like that, that aren't a strip-type kind of thing, that are going to be many, many octaves. But then again, uh, one of the coolest tricks that I found with the uh, Volca bass mm-hmm. is that you can kind of play around just like with a few notes and then take the, the uh, octave knob and shift that around instead. And that gets some pretty wild, easy soloing capabilities right there. Yeah. I've, I've not used that one too much. I've tried to hold off on using that, that bag too much. And, and it's a shame that the, uh, like the vocal bass doesn't have MIDI out because that is something that would be a great candidate for MIDI out because you could have that control another hmm. synthesizer or just record that as a sequence. Really? Yeah, that's, that's, a, that's one of the limitations. I mean, you can, I believe you can mod the Volcas and get MIDI out on those things. Which is that's is like just, all the Volcas? Know, yeah. Wow. Yeah, and, and of course the Volca modular has no MIDI at all. So you can sync, but what about program changing between Volcas? Like starting them at the same... I mean, you have to start them all at the same time and have them be playing and muted to have them all be there's, in sync, right? There's interesting ways of... Uh, you know, I, I haven't done this in a long time. It's been a while since I've tried to interface the Volcas in, in all the different ways that you can. So mm-hmm. you can have them going by via uh, CV sync clock or by MIDI. Yeah. And if I recall correctly, they I'm not sure. I may be confusing them with the pocket operators. The pocket operators, definitely you can hit play on them, and they don't start playing until the master kicks it off. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. So you can mm-hmm. have a lot of them just waiting, and then boom, you kick them all off. Right. I don't okay. think the Volcas can do that, but you might be able to do that. Uh, they might actually pause until... You know, like um, the, the the one in the chain above it is actually sending it clock signal. Yeah, uh, that's what the the Moogs do, uh, the rack, the DFAM and the Mother Thirty Two and the, um, and the Subharmonicon. If you well, you're clocking them from something, you have to have the one before it playing. You have to have the. Th- I I realized when we were jamming, I put yes. together two Subharmonicons and two DFAMs all all together. We clocked them in a daisy chain. And all of them before have to be playing for you to be able to play your one. Otherwise, it's just going to be its own tempo. If, you, if you're yes. not getting the clock going all the way through all of them, press play on all of them. No, oh, really? uh, And they'll DFAM all wait has, until... Yeah. Uh-huh. We, should, we should mention the DFAM has two inputs. One is for the actual tempo, which is different than the advanced clock input. Right. And, and Mr. Basic is talking about the advanced clock input. Mm-hmm. The tempo is cool because, you know, you would think that maybe you could have like a clock coming out of another device and put that into the tempo of the DFAM and that would act as its clock. But what that does is it adds the right. clock to the existing tempo of the DFAM, which is yeah, very it's, interesting. It's like acceleration, not <laughs> it's not, like not another trigger, <laughs> unfortunately. It's not particularly useful in many situations, <laughs> but it's a nice trick. Uh, yeah, that yeah, I, it's done some re- pretty weird things. I've messed with it. Yeah, I I have to work on my uh, Moog skills uh, soon because it's been a while since I messed around with a Mother Thirty Two, and uh, so like I'm kind of like, uh, how do you say, a little lost with it right now. <laughs> I've been mostly doing a lot of stuff on the computer and uh, just kind of like uh, learning on like progressions melody actually writing things like in a playlist right now uh so i haven't been doing too many like live jams or anything like that lately 
mostly a lot of podcasting though. I've been doing that a lot. <laughs> yeah. That's cool. Yeah, I've been shifting gears a lot. I, I I'm I'm trying not to be too insecure about uh about everything, about how up in the air I am about what I'm doing right now, but uh but I'm I'm yeah. pulled in a lot of directions. Yeah, it seems like during the summer I'm mostly music centered, but like uh, I don't know. This year, I haven't been too busy doing too much music. Like, usually in January, I know when they do the January thing, everybody's trying to promote, you know, doing music and stuff. But that's actually usually my, like, off time where I'm not really as creative. What about you? Have Have you been as creative lately or just kind of, like, the same? Um, not me. Not at all, really. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I tend to take... Like naturally, I want to do things in the summer, and I think I will, but I go the opposite way and take yeah. a break more of a break uh from everything and just veg and play minecraft with, uh, with my daughter yeah. and uh you know, and yeah, all sorts of things, but I don't know, I think also for me, maybe the one o one the m c one o one I had mm-hmm. a lot of ideas like dreams for like, like this is what it's going to do for me and I'm going to be doing all this stuff like that. And actually, um, for it, I kind of, I don't, I'm not, I don't feel it as my main sequencer. So, um, that kind of halted, halted me in my tracks, like not ever wanting to go to it for a sequencer. Um, even though it's just fine, it does everything great. It's a uh, mm-hmm. full featured. It's everything I I'd want, but not in the way that I want because it's like it's a step down from how it how the circuit felt, in a way, in in terms of how easy. So this is what this is why I'm I'm I don't uh, along those lines. Uh, I don't I'm not using the launch pad. I just set it up here today just to mm-hmm. just to give an example, like because I want to get the upgrade the launch pad and get the Pro Mark Three. Um, it has four tracks of sequencing and the way I know from the circuit and the way how you can have all four tracks on one page and be choosing. And I just want a bigger page. I wanted to be able to and ended up wanting to be able to use my launch pad for the MC 101 and do all the CCs and stuff like some people have just to see it all like you can in Ableton, right? Because mm-hmm. you could with the 101, but it's just so complicated and it's like, why not just use the launch pad if it's got the new one's got a sequencer on it just like that and that's that's what i like and what i'm used to and peak has poly aftertouch not many things have poly aftertouch this has poly or i mean the new mark uh, pro mark 3 has poly aftertouch so i might just upgrade my launch pad and say it's all right for the 101 to just to be a sound module for all that mm-hmm. stuff and have that be its value even though it's a great sequencer and i i don't want to discourage anyone so right. that poly aftertouch just works directly with MIDI, or is there any setting up with it? It works directly with MIDI, yeah. Oh, know, okay. Old MIDI. I hate to MPE. go into it, and if it's just too much, then don't worry about it. Like if it's too esoteric and too hard to describe, but I'm very curious as to why the MC101 just isn't going to make it as your main sequencer. If there's any uh, kind of main reason. Yeah, I've been racking my brain all this time. I've been feeling like it's my fault uh, completely. Uh, uh, maybe not. I, I would like to state while maybe you're thinking about it that when it comes to sequencing, Roland has always been no- notorious for just being convoluted. I don't uh, know how to explain is. it it's, any better than that. 
it's all the the really basic things I want to do. It just took too many minutes for each of those things. So when you say minutes, are you talking about like actual like like a couple minutes to do each little thing? You know, that would would have just been a couple seconds on the circuit. Oh, so for you to figure out kind of or how to to actually and it's just getting into it, and maybe I, I I'm not spending enough time to figure it out, but it's like that's my motive my motivation my lack of motivation is keeping me from from spending more time with it so far. Well, you know, I, I would say As you know at the expense of course that you know you're buying that is somewhat expensive piece of equipment, you know, of course. And uh it's just that like, well, no, if if the workflow ain't working out for you then then don't fight it, you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, maybe and it's just maybe the session and clip structure. Finding. Yeah. But at the and same it, time, you know, it's it, it is this is all about uh you know, being creatively free, you know, and only I mean, we want to restrict ourselves when we're challenging ourselves, not we don't want to be frustrated in doing this. Mm-hmm. And if yeah. it causes you frustration, then I would say just forget it. Yeah. And, and I don't want to say honestly because mm-hmm. Roland is really their sequencing is always notoriously hard to do. Sometimes there's great reward for learning it. Um, and they're, I mean, it's like they're always doing something different. They don't stay consistent from one device to the next is what I've noticed about their sequencing. Probably like the best sequencing device they have out there is the SH-101 because it's just, you just punch in notes and that's it. Super primitive and super simple. But like even the TR-808 and the TR-909, like they're just, you look at it, it's like, whoa, whoa, I've got to do this to change instruments. I've got to like press all these buttons to do this and I've got uh-huh. to change to this to do this. And you got to like memorize all of this stuff. Yeah, just and, for a drum machine? <laughs> and totally. I'm telling you, man, like, you know, people, <laughs> I don't know why people hate Cyclone Analogic so much or why nobody out there really buys Cyclone Analogic gear. I don't see a lot of their drum machines out there. And to this day, their drum machines are the easiest drum machines I've ever sequenced in my life. There's, they're yeah. just no brainers. Everything about them is intuitive and there's no, there's no led screens at all. Nothing, no displays whatsoever. It's just all there in the buttons and they're color coded and you have knobs they are all analog, uh, an, they're analog circuit paths, but they're digitally driven of course. And you know, you just, you can tap and play. You can like, you know, do the step programming, uh, Korg, also gets it right, I think. Korg sequencing has always been just intuitive to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that Absolutely drum log intuitive. is that drum log is probably going to be a couple years down the road or not going to happen. Uh, but uh, the, uh, but the it, score it, pyramid is so promising. unintuitive, but it's worth it so far. I mean, mm-hmm. it's you just have to learn, you know. But the difference between like the score pyramid and the MC one hundred and one is just you know, there's no comparing the two. I don't think. Uh, you know, first yeah. of all, the MC one hundred and one, you're getting, you're also getting all those classic Roland sounds. That's the, the thing is, I can't no sounds at all. I can't recommend it anything more. Like the one hundred and one has it all. It has ev- all the sounds you need. It has really good sounds, like times, you know, it as much as you want of really good sounds of any type. It's got it, and it's got a good sound coming out of it, and it's got all the functionality you want. Um, and, uh, and then, how many multi-temporal yeah. parts does it have coming out of it? Do you know? Uh, Is it four? Four, yeah, four. Four, okay. And, but then, yeah, and the and any of those tracks can be a drum track, 
all four of them could be a drum track, and then they'd be 16 sounds each. But it's um, a, a little bit more limited control in, in terms of the CCs that you could control f- from something else. Per drum track, you can't do that as much. Um, but you can, actually, uh, somewhat. Um, but right, just right. for, it's, like, it's... three parameters per drum track. And that's actually pretty much all you, all you need. But you have to set it up with a MIDI controller or something like that. If you don't, it's not fun. It, it's really, really not fun compared to if you know something like a drum machine that's been fun or like a circuit that's been fun or a groove box that's been fun. Like, it can, like this could be fun if I'd learn it, but I haven't got there yet. You know, this all reminds me of the pocket operators. Like, they're, they're the mini version of all of this. They're like the simplest version of a complicated workflow, I think, that you can find because they do have, you know, where, like, you press this button and it changes the behavior of these buttons. Now you press this button, it changes the behavior of these buttons. There's all these secret little kind of yeah, yeah. little things inside of it. It's pretty cool, though, because when you go from one, you know, like, it translates from one pocket operator to the next for the most part. There's very little changes really in the workflow from one to the next the newer ones of course they add improvements so some of the improvements and there's some things are different like how you record effects in like on the older ones when you record an effect you would just play the effect and it would always be recorded so if you wanted to get rid of it you would have to like record it off which could be problematic they changed that (laughs) and the newer ones where you have to hit hold the record button now when you do an effect it actually records it as like a parameter lock but mm-hmm. um, yeah, I think um, I think everybody should have a, at least one pocket operator. Mm-hmm. Honestly, there's a few things I think that like every you should just have this. You know, yeah. like like yeah, everybody pro- should have at least one passive direct box uh-huh. in their studio. For They're example, pretty neat. yeah, um, those are pretty cool. Well, yeah, and that's a different subject, but yeah, sure. <laughs> but yeah, just to say like all these different things that you like, you think, oh no, I probably won't ever need that, but you know. You can get a sure. passive direct box for like twenty five, thirty dollars. I don't know. I I think there is a pocket operator for everybody out there. Sure. Oh yeah, most uh, definitely. And um, <laughs> that's the 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 Ko thirty three, the knockout. Uh, that I, is hands down the best pocket operator out there. I I totally didn't get the speak, but I totally would 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 love. Oh, I love the speak, the speak too. The speak is great, but it's not it's not really a sampler. I want a vocoder. Like, I want a real vocoder, too. <laughs> yeah. Ooh, I got those. You're right here, right behind me. You got the VC340. Did I, I... I've bugged people with this a lot, like, recently, but I don't know if I've bugged you or... And I definitely have, haven't bugged all two of you. Um, but, uh, okay, for vocoders... Well, not just vocoders, but, like, they're, like, got all these other similarities, too, right? The Roland JDXI, the Korg Microkorg, and the Novation Mini Nova, right? They all have their and now gooseneck, the, now the Arturia gooseneck Microfreak. vocoders. Arturia oh, and Microfreak. The, and, and the Microfreak. Uh, yeah, but the Microfreak I, I respect in a totally different way. I mean, you uh, can get a little gooseneck record, uh, microphone for it, though. But It but goes does into it... like the MIDI jack or something? What? No, where, where does it go? No, no, oh. like there's like an audio in or something. Um, I can't remember. Anyways, I got one right here. I need to just go look at it, but I'm not going to do that. <laughs> Anyways, it doesn't matter. You're saying though, um, oh, all of these me up uh, by putting the micro freak in the mix. Well, you said that, like the it's the, not the the the, the microcorg, yeah, the JDXI. 
it does have that same structure. Yes. With the with the knobs and the and the choosing the ropes. You're right. It's the key, you know, the keyboard Can you makes, they and did the that? sounds make me think it's just t- something totally on a different plane, but and it is. It's something on a different plane. I have all those sounds and I think they're great and sure more of that would be great, but for me, I was looking at the the mini nova versus the microchoric sounds, you know, mm-hmm. and everything and the JDXI, the JDXI has all those acoustic and, you know, natural organic whatever sample sounds in their supernatural engine right Mm -hmm. so that's something that the microcorg and the mini nova don't have is just all these other sounds that aren't synthy or aren't made by synthesizers right so are these just built-in features on those synths like the micro freak it's actually yeah it's just all vocoder uh yeah or do you just run your mic newer it was a firmware update yes it was a firmware update and one of the ports on the back i can't remember what's on the back of the micro freak but you can kind of overload it and use it as a microphone. <laughs> That's crazy. So does the vocoder, is it, is it good? Like, is it like a good, can it be a good, like classic sounding vocoder? I haven't tried it yet. I haven't. You can do chords because you can do four notes, right? Um, hmm. That's interesting. I guess you could on some of them. Yeah. Or it, is it, it a monophonic vocoder? <laughs> yeah. I, I I'll look that up. Yeah, thanks for. Uh, well, no, I I'm not gonna get a microfreak. No, you don't need a microfreak. I don't think. I well because um you know You've I go to the trade it. show, and I I try one and I'm like no no <laughs> no I can't no what's going no I don't like it but uh, a lot of people do so it's cool. Oh okay okay you don't like it I was the I was keyboard used on your sincerity. I no, Simon, no, I don't know the key. Just the, the the yeah, the key bed on the micro oh, I love freak. It. Okay, so check this out. The micro freak does a very interesting thing. Um, it has a built-in sequencer that, and it's it's so bizarre. It's like it's not not like other sequencers. Like it, tra- you you transpose the sequence when you when you go from key to key. It's really cool. During, I think it also does the transposition mid sequence as well. Don't, don't hold me to that one. But what's very interesting about it is that whatever the sequence is, it spits out like 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 MIDI CC start and stop events. It just starts like spitting out all kinds of crazy garbage on the MIDI outport. So I was thinking to myself, how cool! Now I've got this micro freak, and I could take the MIDI out over to one of my ports where I have all of the analog synthesizers, like the Wasp. So it's really cool to control the wasp with the capacitive touch key, key bed, right? Because that's the way the original Jasper wasp was supposed to be. And that's one of the reasons why I got the microfreak was for that capacitive touch key bed. Well, unfortunately, what I discovered is, is that, you know, I've got a whole bunch of other synthesizers on that whole MIDI port, that MIDI line, that have sequencers on them, all the Roland Boutiques. And when I would press a key on the microfreak, it would start the sequences, and I let go, and they would stop. And it was very, very, very bizarre. Very, very bizarre. You see what I'm saying? It, yeah. Complete chaos. Absolute complete chaos. That's an interesting little. little I'm hack. sure there's a way to get into the system information, the, the the menu, the system menu, and the micro freak, and control what it's sending out. You know, turn all uh-huh. that stuff off. You can always filter it out with another expensive 
piece of of gear. Hmm. But yeah, that was that. I mean, the first time I did that, I was like, I felt like I was being shocked. I guess. Hmm. Yeah. Well, okay. I should say, um, Inky the Cat's here. Inverted Popes is here. John Richardson. Simon the Magpie. Nice to see y'all. Hey. Well, hello, everybody. everybody. Yeah. They've all had some good stuff to add. Uh, John Richardson is asking me, Fader Fox? Um, Yeah, I would if I wouldn't have spent my money on other things. No, but I actually really like the no, I and then I settled in on just kind of feeling like I like the Launch Control XL. The only thing that would get that would get me into Fader Fox, it, even though they're way better, is just not liking the style enough. Yeah. Or or like another yeah, those other devices. This like is the, the bigger EC4. ones too, yeah. <laughs> I would have get a, both a, of the bigger ones, the PC12 and the MX12. Gotcha. This is just uh, MIDI CC. The other cool thing about the PC12 and the MX12 is that they're the same size as the Octatrack and the and the A4 the electrons, so you can all have them like as like a cool thing. Oh, that would be cool. That are all the same size, uniform. Like some people have done that. Only a couple people that I've known. This thing I've yet to really, really program. I wish that it had like some kind of application that you could program it with on your computer. Uh-huh. Uh huh. I'm because th- I mean I don't want to manually have to do all of my synthesizers. <laughs> There's got to be a better way. Yeah, somebody's it's a had to have done something. Uh, it's just tedious. It's just. Tedious. I feel like I'm a little bit lazy, and that's my 101 problem right now too. But I've uh, I've had it since like December, and I'm like, wow, I've had it since December. Wow, look at me. God. You know, it's hard <laughs> to integrate new gear into your workflow, especially true devices yeah. like that. It just, well, you know. but okay, so creatively, maybe I haven't been doing so well, but I haven't been feeling so bad about it because I've been having fun because like I've been surfing presets on the peak. I've been, mm-hmm. I've been really enjoying a lot of what I've got, just enjoying it. Hey, you got that yeah. great DFAM, I mean, uh, subharmonicon track, so don't worry about, <laughs> you know, you got some uh, serious quality over quantity this year already. You know that subharmonicon into a good reverb? When I went out to that jam uh, with real people a couple days ago, um, I put some things off my main rack into this um, utility rack that I have down here. It's good to have a row on here for other things. Uh, mm-hmm. So I have this little mixer uh, to mix them, to mix all the all the Moogs together that were there, and this Z-ver- the Z-verb. Um, so put a, I put a reverb in there. Because like the the subharmonicon plus a reverb is just the most amazing thing in the world. Uh, well, plus a good reverb, I guess, because it's actually kind of rough. In its yeah 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 enveloping mm-hmm. and filtering, in a way, and then reverb it just makes it the most perfect thing ever. I no, I totally agree. I think yeah. any synth dry oh, yeah. is needs more. <laughs> I think that's why a lot of people get um, disappointed when they first get a synthesizer, and it does have and it does not have onboard effects. Yeah, that's kind of a bummer. I mean, mm-hmm. the first time I was getting into the Mother Thirty Twos, and like I'm like, it just doesn't sound like it, like I thought it would. But you know, once mm-hmm. once you figure out that there's a lot more stuff you need to kind of like complete the entire connections between reverb, delay, and all that, it it just makes it so much better. And integration too is also key as well especially if you have like a you know 
digital and analog gear combined into one thing, plus, you know, incorporating it into your DAW and all that. There's just so many things that can then go wrong. And then you kind of like try to figure out what's the next piece I got to put together to make all this work. And that's like, I guess it's kind of like the joy of doing this kind of stuff is trying to figure out what's going to be the next thing. But, you know, sometimes that can lead down some weird roads, but... (laughs) That happened to me uh, today. You know, I had that video I just put up explaining my MIDI setup. And Mm -hmm. last night I looked at, you know, I have these four MIDI hubs, one that's feeding two others. And I decided, okay, I can actually take one of those out and just simplify things. And it will take up more ports over here on on the one that I don't want to take up ports on, but that's okay. I'm not going to use them for anything else. And In the process of doing that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it worked, but I discovered that, you know, my um, custom MIDI ports that I built, um, I built them to handle 16, like one MIDI in, 16 out. But the most I, I found I could do was eight, so I could only hook up two boxes together. There are four boxes. So, but now I found out that for whatever reason right now, I can only get seven out of the eight going. So mm-hmm. what happened to me mm-hmm. is that I, I was testing a few things and all of a sudden, uh-oh, you know, okay, this one works MIDI-wise. Next one, okay, not hearing anything, not hearing anything. Is it the audio? <laughs> is it the cables? Is it, you know, what's going on? It took me a little while to kind of figure out, oh, it's just not working. So yeah. I just changed a few things. I'm still, I still was still able to get that one box out. So this is good news for me. Like I can take this, and if you look over here, right here behind me, I can use that that uh, MIDI hub over here and get some synthesizers going behind the main rig and just you know figure out how to get cables going so I don't trip over them on the carpet. MIDI was always the problem I had to deal with. Uh, so like simplifying the entire situation from the beginning is always going to probably be the best you know thing to do. Like I remember having to disable like even when I was working in like FL Studios or actually my machine for that. Uh, matter. Uh, I actually had that set up to have MIDI coming out from my computer into a box that went to all my gear. And there was so many problems with like time stamping or something. And they would just, it would freeze on notes. And then I had to like troubleshoot the whole thing. Uh, sometimes my audio wouldn't be working. And then I thought that was the problem at first, but then it was the MIDI box. And then I don't know, the whole thing was a big mess, but yeah, uh, it took a long time just to figure it out. And I think MIDI, like I said, is like the one thing I had the most issues with when I was trying to set everything up. Now it's just, it's easier. I can kind of figure it out and, you know, with yes. experience of doing it, it's it's almost like I can troubleshoot right away and figure the what's wrong. But yeah. Yeah, yeah that's cool. Well, I'm, I'm pushing the limits uh, with MIDI with my setup over here. But mm-hmm. for the most part, there's nothing terribly complicated going on and definitely no interfacing with the computer, which makes things just a whole lot harder. I mean, it, it, it doubles, triples the complexity when you throw a computer into the mix because, like you said before, you've got to deal with timing issues. The computer itself has to be powerful enough just to be able to keep up and handle all that processing and still be able to, to sit, spit a signal out and read signals coming in and do something with them. Um yeah, that's a game I don't really want to play right now, to tell you the truth. Um, yeah. What I use is a Scarlet, a Focusrite Scarlet, for my um, audio interface. 
mm-hmm. but it also has MIDI in and out. And that is actually very robust. And, and I think, I don't know, like I would probably say, you know, th- if you're having troubles before, it probably was your hardware. Yeah, actually, I have this. I have this iConnect MIDI Plus Four, and mm-hmm. I, once I bought that, that was actually one of the first things I bought. Actually, once I had like all my analog gear, and I bought this iConnect MIDI Plus Four. It's also got like lightning co- connectivity or something. I don't know. You can actually mm-hmm. you can actually send it over to like a network, and then you can mm-hmm. actually com- like you can trigger MIDI f- it like. If you could set it up, I guess you can trigger MIDI from anywhere, but uh, yeah. it's just funny. But yeah, I I think that thing might have been most of the problems. But uh, for the for the the most that I know, Windows has like a timestamp signature, and there's I think machine or the guys from Native told me mm-hmm. that you have to disable something, and it's this is something PPG they can't code. They... Yeah. And they actually sent me a file. You have to actually add it to your registry. And that'll fix most of the issues for machine. But when I'm using FL Studios, I literally have, like, no problems at all. As long as I'm, you know, using something, you know, I guess in a DAW, it doesn't have a problem. But machine is kind of like its own DAW in a way, I think. But, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, sure, and, you know. Any, anybody use machine at all? Have you tried oh, it? Oh, no, I don't. No, they, they have a hardware version of it now. I don't know. It's probably pretty good, too, but yeah. they're, they're kind of pricey, though. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, and I, I, you know, since it, it goes along with all the contact stuff, if you're, if you're into that, then that would be the mm-hmm. perfect thing. But I, I, th- I like the idea of, of MPCs and the MPC software uh, a little better because it, it has, a, has a long history of being able to be standalone and and all that not like it hasn't had its own problems throughout the years mm-hmm. the the mpc live yeah or the mpc all all the mpc generations all of them. Mm-hmm. kind of but then yeah they went out of standalone and then went back into standalone so yeah the mpc live and then the mpc1 would it would be the like the the entry level or the cheaper one is the mpc1 now that goes standalone like that but um I think it's just great because it does everything and then it has your velocity sensitive pads for drums and everything mm-hmm. you'd want in in putting in rhythms and drums and it's kind of like a DAW but it's just nice and compact and that's all yeah, you do. Yeah, it's kind of it. nice. Yeah, I like that. I like uh, the idea do, of it. Do you guys like an interface on your hardware? Like for instance, so you, you can menu dive and stuff like that or do you think it's kind of like a distraction to like your workflow? Oh, it's definitely a distraction until you learn it. Yeah. But uh, once you learn it, then it's it's a matter of like how often do you use it and how, how long are you going to retain it. Mm-hmm. Um, I tend to avoid menu diving if I can. I have a few d- devices that do that. The The Roland Boutiques have weird menus. Uh, the DO5 is an actual, you know, D50. So it's the actual menuing system from the D50. And that is a true parametric menuing system, you know, from back in the day where it's like a small LCD or LED screen. And um, then up from there, it just kind of goes to some only have like a real, real simple LED mm-hmm. uh, display, like like two digits on the like the SH. Actually, the SH01A, uh, I think, has four digit display. 
Um, and then from there, like, you know, um, the, the, the Korg Electribes, the old ones, have very, very cool menuing. I mean, it's like a grid. And you have a couple buttons, and you just, like, select which row and which column you want. And, and you just, you know, pick whatever you want. It, it gets a little cryptic sometimes because when you're dealing with a small display, how they word certain things gets a little weird. Um, the pyramid, of course, is the worst one. I, nothing compares to that. I mean, that that's like, I hear the, like, Electron workflow is fairly daunting and notorious. I would say maybe it's as bad as that. I have no idea. Maybe it's worse. Maybe it's nowhere near as bad. When I say bad, I mean just hard to learn. Yeah. Um, the peak probably, is totally non-intimidating. Uh, what is not? By the way, the peak, the peak uh, menus, screen and menus is totally non-intimidating. It's awesome. Just, it's just all these eight buttons at the top of your page that you're on, settings or oscillator or whatever. And then there's these three buttons on the side that are your different rows of, it'll say three things. It has room to say three things on the screen. And whatever button you press, that's that's what you're affecting with a knob. So it's a little bit of a grid system. And it's just, it's yeah, just not neat. Awesome. There's, just, yeah, that's, there's just a few pages. Uh, you know, um, I like things, um, I'm trying to think, for example, what, there was one that I saw recently, like anything where you have a, a little uh, dis- display. Oh, yeah, the MicroFreak. The MicroFreak does a very good job when you turn a knob or do something, the screen changes for that feature. Yeah, it has to show you the amount that stuff. you change. I, I like that. And that's super handy. So I love things like that in the interface. But there's one thing, and it will go back to the Korg Electribes once again. They have the coolest feature on an interface that I've ever seen, and I wish that every synthesizer had this. And it's called Original Value. And it's just an LED. Can you guess what it is? Init patch? No. Or, I mean, or so, the values are, no, those are encoders. So, so for whatever the preset is, uh-huh. right, Where and whenever you, you tweak a knob, oh, okay. it will show you when you hit the original value of that preset, which mm-hmm. means you can tweak away and go way out into space and then find where the original value was again. It also means nice. that whatever preset you load up, you could figure out where the knobs and sliders are supposed to be. That's a great feature. Yeah. That's a killer feature, and I wish that you know that was used more often. You can't even, I mean, as great as the mono station is for having all the LEDs do what they're doing for each patch differently for all the parameters, it still doesn't do that, whereas you can... Go back yeah, most since we in the dark, you, you kind of have go, to just like go to another like patch the and then go back to it. I'll sit there and tweak it until I find the close to the sound, you know. But the, those tiniest faders, you know, yeah, those those faders on the boutiques are too small. I will agree with that. So when you're trying to find the right value, it gets pretty pretty tight. <laughs> yeah, I At didn't like the, the SH101A. The way oh, the, it felt. The O1A, yeah. The O1A. Oh, it's a great synthesizer, yeah. though. It's what I love about. The O1A is is that it has presets, and what I love about that it has presets is that it shows you what you don't know that that synthesizer can do. You see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love the, the sound the that was coming out of it. Of like, That's, wow, cool. you can do all of that with just that small interface. Mm-hmm. It seems so limited, um, but yeah, it makes me realize, okay, you know, that could be a desert island synth right there because you could spend a whole lifetime just really learning synthesis on that one synthesizer. That's just one oscillator. Uh, that brings me to a, a, a thing, actually. Uh, 
the jam that I was at, there was a blind woman Ooh, there. That's three oscillators. Sorry, <laughs> four. <laughs> oh, right. Bad. Anyways, yeah. yeah. Um, you you can mix your waveforms. That's and you get a sub oscillator in there too. But whatever. Sorry. Go ahead. Yeah. Um, along those lines, uh, there was a blind woman at the jam that I was at, and uh, and she asked me. I mean, she she actually did pretty well with the DeepMind twelve. It has all the knob or a uh, slider per function sort of thing going on, uh, and so you can really work with it that way. But um, also, it it was pretty easy for her to go to switch presets on it as mm-hmm. well with the knob, right? And so that's a pretty good thing in a way. But she also had came run in, ran into problems quite a bit with just various things, and it goes way deeper. So, and she asked me. Uh, at some time in the night of like, you know, what types of things would be best to learn on? And like, how do I learn about this stuff? And I immediately thought modular and just the knob per function of all the modules and how it's just always going to be, the the knob is going to always do one thing. It's going to do the same thing. Um, And you, and it's all tactile as long as you don't have too many like buttons that switch between with lights necessarily. Like, like you do with this, you have a button, you switch it, and it says low, high, or sync. You know, it's like, well, she's not going to see that, right? Mm-hmm. So actually, what, I, what I, I've been racking my brain and what I was thinking is, uh, and people even said the, the Mini Brute too, but I have the original Mini Brute. Mm. And uh, yeah, so, so that would be like, um, and like you, said, like you said, it has the, each of the oscillators you can, or each of the waves, you can add as much of each one as you want. And that's a little bit different than most of them. But I think she could handle that. It's like those, the waveforms, I'd say there's a, there's a row of six, you know, for the, for the sound generation, right? And then the last one is the audio in. And, and you can kind of feel where those are. And then the two envelopes are, would be pretty easy to feel. And then you can figure out the rest. So I think I wanted to let her borrow this. I think that'd be awesome. That looks like a really sure. nice synthesizer. To but I don't know. Be what do you able to see and to be able to play? Yeah. yeah. Uh, but what do you guys seen, think um, about well, like different a, things? Erica Sense um, had a, a workshop for the blind where they were teaching people how to use their Pico System Three, the desktop. Uh huh. And you know, I was thinking about that myself. Like every time I, you know, I've got one, a Pico System Three. Now every time I I use it, that's the first thing I think about is like not being able to see anything and how would I know how to use it. Right. And uh, that one, it's it's very interesting because you know, I guess you just have to say like, okay, like count this many over, this many down. You know, and you know like what to patch into what to do what. Um, I still think though that. The micro brute would be a lot easier to teach a blind person how to operate than the Pico System Three, but I don't know. Yeah, I think it it really would be great in that in that sense for learning subtra- subtractive and just the basic waves and what happens there. And you got to learn subtractive first. I mean, you don't have to, but it's just so e- it's just so much easier to think about everything once you have the subtractive in your head. Good, you know. Sure. Yeah, I think it's better. I think it's more worthwhile, more valuable in the long run. Uh, so many things use learn, it and use the lingo. Well, like we, we learned Romplers first, right? Like, you know, the first synthesizer that I learned was the Roland D70. And that's a weird synthesizer if you think about it. And we, like, I actually 
built patches from scratch on that synthesizer. And I didn't know what, still, even though I was able to make patches, you know, I was just taking building blocks, you know, and keep in mind, this is all going through the menuing of, of the keyboard itself. Like one um, LCD screen, it's got, you know, enough rows and columns to get some meaningful information on there at one time. But you're still dialing through everything and listening with your ears. And it's mostly just a lot of stock sample rompler sounds. And you can kind of pull them in and change the filters. And I think you could, you could even add some raw kind of virtual analog style oscillators to do things like noise and so forth and, mm-hmm. and mix it together based on the aftertouch when one comes into the other and add LFOs and so forth. But yeah, yeah, that's not valuable. You know, you can learn mm-hmm. how to do that and that's only good for that, that, that few select set of Roland synthesizers. And see, I never learned how to use a Korg M1. You know, how do I, how do you build patches on a Korg M1? It's maybe similar, maybe completely different. It's probably exactly the same, but a completely different way to do it. If you see what I'm saying. I was thinking but, even like the, the monologue is a really nice one too. Like for yeah, instance, you're just synthesis, trying right? to, yeah, you're just trying to like learn by sound and by touch and like how to, you know, it's real basic too. So, which is kind of nice. So as soon as you turn a knob, you kind of, you know, you kind of understand what's happening when you're just listening to it. So it's, I think yeah, that but how, nice uh, how much menuing do you have to get to, to change the knobs to do, the, the things uh, that you want them to do. There's not a whole lot of that. I mean, unless you're trying to do some really like complicated stuff, like I think you can actually change some of the knobs to be like, you know, slightly different tweaking, you know, parameters and stuff. But for the most part of it, everything that's laid out on the front of it is just real basic. It's just cool. straight to the point. And it also works like in a chain. So you start from the left and work all the way to the right. So yeah. everything is just kind of manipulating the next thing that's over to the right. And so, yeah. And plus the sounds are really awesome on it too. The LFOs are really cool. Uh, that's one thing I like about it is that the LFOs are super like, uh, well, I guess they're sensitive in a sense, but you can like you can crank them up and make some really cool like metallic sounds and stuff, and it's just really cool. Yeah, yeah. I would plus, I was, plus, well, uh, plus you can also put batteries in it too and take it wherever. Oh you yeah. Want. And so. well, okay. <laughs> any any synthesizer that's DC powered can run off of batteries. You just got to yeah. know how to. Yeah, I'm gonna get me one of those rip card cords one of these days. Uh, just I get like a little power bank. But yeah. yeah, I was thinking with the depends. peak. Yeah, with the peak, I would I would get a rip cord and do it that way, and that'd be cool. Mm-hmm. I mean, some of them, um, if it's nine volts, it you can just power it with the nine volt battery. Oh, okay, that's cool. But you got to make sure the polarity is correct. Yeah, you so don't a lot of them take the center negative. <laughs> so most jacks are not, you know, most DC jacks are not center negative. Um, but back to um, and the Volcos are nine volt. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, but they uh, they're DC jacks. Are not standard size. They're like one point seven yeah. or something like yeah. that. You have to get adapters for them. I had to get a Korg adapter. Korg. That's that's a strike against Korg right there. Yes, mm-hmm. I do. I have you can't Korg find adapter. them either. Yeah. Well, I actually have one now. When oh, I yeah. when I bought the modular, I bought it used on Reverb, and it came with one of the Korg adapters. So I feel I feel lucky to have one, and I I don't even use it. I don't even <laughs> yeah. use it. Isn't that hilarious? That's the thing. Uh, Korg doesn't really guess, package. With a like a power, you know, you don't even get that, do you? Like yeah. I actually had a, I had to make one for mine. Like I just got like oh, a you made one universal too? Gosh. one. Gosh, you guys, yeah. you make me feel like 
God damn it. <laughs> I'm just joking. <laughs> but, but seriously, Taze was talking about that, too. You can just make one. Like, yeah. no, I'm not going to make one. I'm so well, lazy. I'm not going to do that. They do sell well, okay. like universal ones you can buy and then just get the right connector. I mean, it's probably not the best way to go because the one that I'm using, it's a little like kind of like loose. So I have to kind of like make sure that it's in there, you know, <laughs> tight enough to where it doesn't like unplug constantly, you know? So yeah, it's, it's yeah, loose connections are not good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's a bit MacGyver. I don't, I don't want to MacGyver too much. Well, as long as there's batteries in it too, as long as you're using a cable, if it does get unplugged, the batteries kick in right away. So it's kind of a nice feature. Oh, that's really cool. Yeah. That's very handy. I still, though, I don't like leaving batteries behind. Neither do I. You know, if they get like, what do you call it? They start leaking in there. Yeah. That's terrible. You know, I even, um, this is the receiver or the transmitter, excuse me, for my microphone. When I packed everything away, like I left the batteries in this thing, and I should have taken them out. Yeah. And I realized that I was like, oh, I forgot to take those batteries out. If I had, for whatever reason, you know, been like detained in the military service for two years, just it could happen. Who knows? You know, <laughs> those batteries would have leaked. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yep. Hmm. Yeah. So, what else is new, guys? What else uh, have you um, settled in to your new place, Hayes? I've kind of settled in. I still have much, much, yeah. much work to do. Um, yeah. You know, this this place is, is pretty cool. It's, it, had, it had a lot of, of fixer fixer upper kind of stuff that I needed to do. Uh, what's relevant f- for this conversation is that I only have two areas where I have grounded outlets. Mm. So, yeah. and But you know what? It's not a problem. Oh, no. It's not a problem. I mean, when you realize how everything is connected in your house anyways. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's like, oh, okay. Yeah. I mean, it's all Romex cable. And mm-hmm. the important thing is is to, to get a grounded outlet going, though. So all of this is powered. It's grounded properly. Um, I'm not using any of the ungrounded outlets, which are all the handy outlets, of course, the ones that are here, you know, going across this way. So w- my theory, my um, estimate estimation is that when it comes to wiring a house with power, Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's not breaking code. It's not violating code to have ungrounded outlets as long as they're not next to running water. Mm-hmm. That's, okay. and I, I don't know, this is Tennessee, of course, it may, it's different state by state, mm-hmm. but the only outlets that are grounded are the ones in the kitchen and the ones in the bathroom. Oh, okay. And I, that's my reasoning is that, well, that's where running water is. And that's where like people, somebody would have like a hairdryer or like microwaves and blenders ho- hooked up over here with motors and those can be shock hazards. That's where you start getting into, okay, this is why things are really grounded so we don't die, you know. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> otherwise, noise, you know, a lot of what's crazy is when it comes to audio equipment, a lot of times you want to, like, lift the ground and make mm-hmm. things really dangerous because, you you know, like you've introduced a, a ground loop somewhere. Speaking of which, I haven't – I didn't notice my Roland Boutique's uh, issuing a digital ground hum this time, but I don't have a lot of other things hooked in as well. So that's interesting. That was an mm-hmm. expensive uh, solution that I picked by purchasing ISO. Um, oh, I can't even say it anymore. Opto isolators. And uh, they're like 10 bucks a piece. <laughs> so it's kind of like if I don't need them and I don't know that I'll be able to sell them either. Like who's going to buy them from me, you know? Yeah. But so, so my friend that I jammed with, uh, he he had the 
the Roll the Roland uh, you know TR8S and the MC707 uh, and the 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 MX1 mixer performance mixer rolled by Roland all all next to each other all same size and all this is all cool and they all hooked, hooked up together and the the MX1 mixer bricked them all I've I forgot what he said did it what but it, they all bricked and he had to send them all back and he, what and he had the TR8S back uh, when huh. we were jamming but that was that's that insane Okay, wow, that happened. But I'm, so, I'm, so I'm he has the seven oh seven and the TR eight S, but he's not he doesn't have the MX one anymore. I think he's not gonna get that again. <laughs> he's gonna just use other it's mixers. Like once bitten twice shy. Yeah, but he loved it actually. <laughs> you know, uh, I man, I that. wanted that mixer so bad and everything about it was like for me it was like, Well it does this, but it doesn't do this yeah. or but it does it in a way that I can't use. What he said he loved about it was just and misses about it is just that it had a filter on it, a low pass filter on every Cha- track just right there, boom, you know. <laughs> just, wow. Uh, but it, it does. Well, it has all that stuff, and in, in, and and you can sequence it, like motion sequence all the effects uh, and filtering and stuff like that from uh, the mixer as well. It's great. I'm happy with my S2400. Then it's got filters on every track. Now it uh-huh. doesn't have effects on every track, but it has individual outputs. So you know, bring your own effects bring your own mm-hmm. cables i'm still trying to figure out how to incorporate that into my studio by the way the uh that's what's new for me still is the s2400 i mean that is so are you gonna not... bring everything out now that you've moved or keep some things <sighs> yeah are you i'm not gonna be able stations? to i'm gonna try but um I, I still need to sell some stuff and i want to wait a little bit longer before i actually start selling anything I mean, I'm not mm-hmm. going to sell anything that, that's out on the table, but like in terms of like the other stuff I don't have, you know, I want to figure it out. But do I need four Roland K25M MIDI controllers? Uh, yeah, I don't even need not... one right now, you okay. know. I've got a VPO3 boutique and an A01 boutique that I could sell that I'm not probably going to use. Um, I've got the Soulsby at Megatron, which I definitely don't want to sell. And I think I might be able to get it over here somehow. And the thing is, is that when when the when the Bar- when Berenger comes out with their Selena, I'm gonna I'm gonna want to get that. Uh-huh. That is definitely something that I'm thinking, you know, that I want to get. They've got but you, you know, already have the VC340. Yeah, but the Selena is a little different. It sounds very much the same, but not quite. And when you put the two together and run that through an ensemble, a stereo <laughs> ensemble. Oh, man, dude, it's just like melt away, man. So I kind of want to keep the VPO3 around, too, because like, well, okay, here's what's cool about the VPO3 is that it is um, it is a digital USB interface for a vocoder into your computer. So I could, you know, get vocoder type kind of stuff in via USB audio into the computer, which is, you know, that's kind of all the boutiques have that ability. That's kind of cool. But you know, I'm not using if, it that if way. If the if you're only using that with your computer, and that's what yeah. you do, well, it's, yeah, project. I mean, that's or that's part of your, that's your task right now, and that's what you do. You just, exactly. How hard it is? Love, is it to unhook and rehook a USB? Or I'm <laughs> yeah. like in this particular case, that's all I would be using it for. I'd probably have it here next to the to the computer instead. 
Hmm. Yeah, true. Yeah. True. But um, no, it's always been sort of like my dream to get like all of these vintage ensemble synthesizer um, kind of hooked up together and running in tandem together. And uh, that's becoming a, a, a slow reality. I don't know why, but that sound is just one that I've always just, you know, wanted to have, be able to uh, create. If you don't use it, just lose it. That's right. <laughs> yep. Yeah, no like point that. in having like too many. There, there's no point in having too many tricks. You know, I mean, once once it gets overwhelming, it's like, what do I need the most, and what's going to work in my workflow the best? So it's always nice to kind of like clean clean shop once in a while. And like you said, since you moved, you realize how much stuff you actually do have. So it's kind of nice to just kind of like reanalyze everything and then just be like, well, maybe I don't need all these things and kind of just figure it out for the best. So, Yeah, I've been over that up and down, left and right, and I need every single thing that's in here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I that's know awesome. it. It always feels like that. Even even the theremin right here. I I have it. I don't use it, but I have it. <laughs> I'll take it. Yeah. It's 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 cool for like live performance, but like when do I ever get to do that? You know. So, uh, but you know, yeah, it's it's cool. I have a know? theremin on the peak. I'll show it off sometime. It's great. Oh wait, and there's one on the one one too. Is is a voice on there that is set up to just like totally sound like that. Yeah, lose between kinda, the notes. It's not quite the same it. thing, but I kind of have no, an eight not. oscillator theremin with the with the Lyra eight. Uh huh. It it has the same spirit as the theremin, I think. Yeah. Does it sound similar? Sound like a theremin? That is a great. I that is a synthesizer. I think that if you can a, a luxury synthesizer that I wish everybody could have. And you know what? What's wild about Soma is is I feel like they make a lot. Of product, they produce a lot of units. Like there's a lot of their devices out there. The Pulsar 23, not so much right now, but I'm not worried about getting one three or four years down the road from now. Someday. Hmm, that's weird. I mean, that's weird because they're weird. Uh, yeah, right. You would think that yeah. they're very kind of like limited in stock and supply and so forth. That's it's what like, I was thinking. Yeah. I feel like Dreadbox has less supply than than Soma does. But like when I mean, because they like, do the ether, which is really out there. Like, right? oh yeah, this is what your feeling sounds like. You and know. that's mm-hmm. you know that's that's a, that's kind of a cheaply produced unit. I don't want to say cheap, but you know it's pl- compared to their other ones, it feels like like a cheap plastic toy to be honest. But I mean, no, it's good plastic. Though. But it's, it's very solid and it's curved plastic and it's got their logo like embedded yeah. in it and everything. So it's like you know it's molded just for them. It's for the idea but, uh, of the function, anyway. Right? But guess how many colors the Lyra Eight comes in now? Uh, it's like so six or something. There was the black and white, and Orange, I didn't know about any others. And then green and pink, and I oh. think there's like one more. Okay, and the four red. Maybe the five, but yeah, and um, oh, kitty cat. <laughs> <laughs> so just like a question, like. Uh, your dream synth, if you had all the money that you could, you know, purchase the best synth you could possibly think of, like, just, just don't think about money for a minute. What is your dream synth that you can get right now? Like, I mean, no money, like, you know, if, if you can get it, for instance, like, uh, you know, um, I would even settle with the Erica synth Centrax. 
but the Synthi, the EMI uh, VCS, whatever it's called, you know, the one that Pink Floyd used on Dark Side of the Moon. Mm-hmm. But to tell you the truth, I would think I would rather have the modern version, the Erica Sense version. Um, I'm I'm more of a new new device kind of guy. I'm not a vintage person. Yeah. yeah. So for me, I'm more on like you know I like taking the spirit of the old stuff and then applying you know new improved technology to it. Um, well, yeah, yeah. No, I, I think mean, all you things could being still call all yourself things being equal, guy. you know, no no like issues. No issues mm-hmm. with capacitors, no issues yeah. with old chips or anything like that, you know, all things being equal. But I really, really think that that is one of the coolest synthesizers around. Are you familiar with it, Audio Surgeon? Mm. What, what's the name of it again? I'm sorry. Uh, Mr. Basic, help me out here because I always forget what the original is called because it's like it's the Synthi. The Synthi, yeah, the EMS Synthi. Synthi. EMS Synthi, yeah. I think it's EMS is the company. And, yes, uh, EMS. Yeah, and... And it was, yeah, Pink Floyd used it uh, for the wall. So it's like a box, but the original had like like two, you know, like an L-shaped kind of thing, and both were like just square. And then it had this plug matrix. Plug matrix, yeah. Oh, that's cool. You put pins. Yeah, and has uh, built-in speakers, Uh which I'm not a huge fan of. Yeah. Yeah. It's like a light bright. You You put pins in it for the the mod matrix. It's this little mod matrix. Doesn't the 2600 have the same kind of thing? It's similar. No, but it it does have the built-in speakers. It's got built-in speakers, yeah. Didn't yeah, they re- think, re-release that? Yes, and Behringer's got a version out as well. Yeah. So who who did it? Like Korg has a version, and I feel like somebody else also did a version. But I'm no, I'm. It's so hard to keep up with all this stuff, <laughs> and so many of these synthesizers. I'm like, I can't have that synthesizer. I'm not going to have that synthesizer. I can't afford to even think about that synthesizer. So but it's if, just like <laughs> ching. But if you could, like a wish, like just one synth. Well, yeah, that, that would be the one probably. Have, that would be it. I mean, the thing is, is that I feel like I've already got it. Yeah. And that's the Delta Sepe, which mm. is hands down. See, I'm, I'm a different synthesizer kind of person. We, you know, I've talked about this before, but like, you know, I'm not a piano player. Yeah. You know, I don't, I don't need 16 voices, polyphony. I don't need multi-timbrality out of all this kind of stuff, you know. I'm Although happy a court, with a mono voice. Mm-hmm. Although, as like, long as um, I can do some stuff, but the uh, the Delta Sep is like it's one of those synthesizers where it is like it's a virtual analog, mm-hmm. so it's digital, but it tries to be you know like analog synthesizer, and it does it remarkably well. Unlike any like it does it unlike any of the other ones, and I don't need built-in effects either, but this synthesizer mm-hmm. has built-in effects, and they're the kind of effects where you want to get a microphone and plug into it and, and, and speak and sing into it. Mm-hmm. It invites you to do that kind of kind of thing with it. The uh, tape me, delay I'll... is stereo. It bounces back and forth, and you can just control the speed of it left and right. It sounds pretty analog yeah. for being totally digital. Love that thing. Sorry. And, then, and it's no, not cheap. Yeah. You know, It's like a $1,200 synth. Uh-huh. Uh, it comes in Eurorack or desktop. So mm-hmm. I, like like most people get the Eurorack, but I mean, the problem with things like that is it's this big. So if you're a Eurorack guy, right or gal, you know you don't want to, you don't want this real estate this wide going into your rack. It's oh yeah, no, it's lot of fine. Space. It's fine. In this case, though, you get a lot of utility. You get um, let me think about this for a second. I think I have it's the system one MIDI. here. You just put it in a different box. No, it's uh, MIDI to CV. Uh, yeah, it's a MIDI to CV converter. 
you got a really great LFO and um, the oscillator quant is, is uh, you can quantize the oscillator like you can on the subharmonicon. So when you apply an LFO to it, same thing with the subharmonicon, you you make it step up and down the notes like a scale. That's really cool. That's really cool. Yeah, this whole this new module came out. I, I'm not going to talk modular or, or go into it or anything, but this new module. Well, came what's, out your, the, what's your what's uh, your like synthesizer you want? Yeah. Like, uh, oh, like if, if price wasn't um, okay, so I feel like mm-hmm. I'm just feeling like I did I did good. I spent four years racking my brain on what would be the best and what would be the best. Maybe I didn't consider the Moog One. Maybe I'm not really considering the Profit X, um, but because of the price, but. Um, but like I think I feel like I really did good with the peak, but it makes me just feel like I want a summit too. I want a summit as well because I want more. I want the peak to do the chords and do the lead, and maybe have those be two different patches. But so I either want another peak and another peak, or uh, or probably a summit would be a good idea. Except maybe uh you know you know I would like. Okay, if it's a good key bed, that would be great too. I don't know though. <laughs> For me, oh man, I'm going big. Uh, a system 55. How about that? And I almost okay. had one too. I almost had one. <laughs> it's a funny story. I don't know if you guys want to hear it, but yeah, please. Uh, yeah, I'm sure Hayes knows. I, he, him, and I were talking a little bit about this, but uh, there was some stuff going on the internet about this guy Upshod who had this new crypto called Upcoin that I invested in and uh-huh. um yeah I could have had like six figures like a couple of days ago and the whole thing just took a big dump uh-huh and, well at the wrong uh, time that uh, yeah guess, yeah luck well. luckily I pulled out just before it tanked to yeah. like zero but I could have been looking at some crazy money and mm. this guy just kind of disappeared and people are looking for him right now it's almost like a like a crazy like mystery movie type thing it's just everything is so weird and i even got involved with the guy i did an interview with him on youtube mm-hmm. and yeah i talked to him and i would have never thought this guy was even capable of doing something like this so it just blows my mind but the thing it all happened in, in two weeks i want to yeah, add that, that all went weeks. down in two two weeks uh-huh. I like, I bought boom. in very, very early, and I had, like, a ton of them. Like, I'm talking billions of these tokens. And if it hit a penny, I mean, I'd probably be looking at, like, something close to, like, $70 million in dollars. Yeah. But it, <laughs> and, it, took, it took Doge longer than that to try to do that, yeah. so... Oh yeah. Well, like that's the. I gotta say, don't worry. Don't worry about it. Don't like you know it. Man, okay. First of all, you get all that money. How are you gonna How are you gonna convert it into cash? Do you realize the amount of sharks that come after you? It's mm-hmm. it gets it gets scary really quick. And you want to just a little little rise a little bit here a little bit here. You don't want to do this because it's no. it's bad. No, it's just it's bad. And I felt even like really weird when it was happening too. Like it was happening so fast and like, okay, I was excited that, you know, I could make some money. Right. Mm -hmm. But I was also at the same time, very nervous because something in the back of my head was telling me like, what if people panic and this thing just goes out of control and this dude 
that started the whole thing, Upshod, like completely disappeared. No one knew what happened. We might have thought he got kidnapped. He was threatened. I don't know. Who knows? Committed suicide. But, you know, we found out that he just was breaking under pressure, I guess. He couldn't yeah. handle it. So Well, he decided, he decided to get out of it then. So what do you yeah. do then? You pretty much – he should have declared it though, you know, yeah. did, instead of just Did you hear about it? Did you hear about it? Uh, oh, no. No, I I know nothing. Oh. Watch. Uh, I have actually a um, a video on my YouTube channel of his confession or his like I guess final words on it. Uh-huh. It is it is spooky. I mean, huh. it really is. It looks like something that like Al Qaeda put together. It so, is so, so maybe he feels that, bad for that tone. It does. I mean, it just it just you just feel like oh. yeah. Well, just, you I, ma- imagine the kind of pressure you know. Yeah. It's it's and, <laughs> it's unreal pressure. That's why, like, I never wanted to get into that stuff. Was because mm-hmm. I, you I mean, for this exact same reason is because you've got families who are like invested in this thing and they're dependent upon this, and and I, that's way too much responsibility. Oh yeah. So yeah, yeah. lessons and learned I, on that one. I kind of feel bad for him, but at the same time, people lost money and they are looking, they are hunting for this guy, and so I can only it, imagine he's got to be, you know. Peeing his pants. Scared? Right yeah. I'm just, just telling you right now. Yeah. Yeah. And the thing is, the guy was so like knowledgeable and he should have just not did it, man. I mean, the guy had a good career. Uh, he had a good YouTube channel, almost 100,000 you know, subscribers. And he talked about Doge. And I think they're just people that came out after him about like, you know, uh, you know, you're abandoning doge and you're doing this project and then i maybe he got threats from like guys with real money or something and they just wanted no him idea. to shut it down i mean it's all speculation right now. of course so, i mean yeah we'll know more as things come out but i, I still s- sincerely think that one he didn't rip anybody off and, and you know like he wasn't in this to rip people off and i think that something external happened like the mark something in the market uh took this coin down like you know, uh-huh. like it was like, it was it was like a force of nature that was initiated by a human being or a group of human beings, for reasons we may never find out. But uh, you know, it, it, it's 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 why you know, like there's going to be a lot of these coins and tokens oh, coming yeah. out these these alt cryptocurrencies, and you know, this is why I would say like you know, uh, if you know if you really believe in something, you want to be a supporter. Don't just buy into it, you know, mm-hmm. figure out mm-hmm. how you actually get like one of those tokens that they only issue out. Those are hard. To, you, those are really hard to get, by the way. I don't know if you ever got into like a to- token issuance kind of thing. Sometimes you need to have about 10 grand to start yeah. to get into one of these things, you know, which is put- way above my play level. But, you know, it's completely uh-huh. different than buying in a whole bunch of tokens when, when, it, when it first hits the market. Yeah. I'd say wait months see what it does on the market first next time he even said um, that he put a lot of his own money into it so like when oh yeah. they when they yeah, first sure. started the liquidity I pool i think he put like like 50 grand into it yeah and, i would put as much money as i had into if i started my own yeah. crypto i would definitely want because you know if all goes well you stand to make a lot of money because yeah. you're one of the original first and but anyways we're getting off topic we you know <laughs> but i, I want to say it's it's you know, you know what I said before. You know, when it comes to gas and wanting these things and wanting all these oh, synthesizers, yeah. you know, like I think once you get, ah, I hate I hate to be this way. I don't sound like grand grandpa over here or anything like that. You know, 
or once you get a bunch of synthesizers, you realize, okay, I don't need any more, man. I don't want yeah. any more. Yeah. Like I don't want to mow one. I don't know what I would do with it. The thing is this big, where would it go? You know, yeah. and the amount of time it takes to learn how to use to that learn thing. It. Mm-hmm. And yeah. you know, I'm bragging a little bit, but I can mostly do most of what I can do with the Moog One with what I have already over here. I was actually because kind of, of all the effects that I have. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. And the thing I was actually kind of surprised about the Moog One, I actually had uh, the chance to check it out at Sweetwater. I actually went there in Indiana, and uh, like the keyboard, I was really disappointed in it. Really, like unless it's just like a prototype. It seemed like the keys <clears throat> were very like thin and just like I don't know, like even my complete control feels more sturdy than than the Moog One that they had. Uh, but I mean, I don't know the capabilities that it's possibly able to handle maybe overweighs that. But yeah, I don't know. I just wasn't as impressed with it as I thought I would. I be. I feel the same way about when I keybeds. I don't feel like there's hardly any good, really good feeling keybeds out there, and sometimes you come across them. Yeah, and it ruins well, a really otherwise really good piece of gear to not true. have the keybed be up there. True. Uh, yeah. I'm, I'm not so picky. I don't guess, you know, just a drummer, <laughs> yeah. you know, but no, I, I hear you. Um, surprisingly the VC 340 back here has a decent key bed. I think the proof is in the pudding though. Unfortunately with key beds, 10 years down the road, 15 de- mm-hmm. years down the road, you know, how well are they going to last? Those are one of the most critical things. And, and I'm glad that I don't have a lot of key beds in my studio to tell you the truth. I've only got like two, three, and then you know, like the four that I talked about before. And those are like only like an octave and a half. They're like tiny little key beds. But when you get into a synthesizer, and especially like a real synthesizer that has a, a key bed and everything, those are the notoriously most hardest sections to repair are the key beds. Yeah. And a lot of them, you can totally screw everything up. From from what I understand, to the point of where it's really unrepairable, like that mm-hmm. one, like one key or a couple keys will never be right ever again if you don't so, if you screw screw it up. So, question: uh, Do you guys prefer keys or like buttons, like push buttons and stuff? What What's your favorite? Um, I prefer buttons. So mm-hmm. when it comes to, like check this out, when it comes to sequencing drums, I will generally get the velocity up to about one hundred and twenty. And I'll just do step sequencing. And if I need a softer sound, I'll change the velocity. And I'll hardly ever actually perform the drums myself. Um, Because that's how picky I am about drums. If I can't get it just right, I ain't going to get it at all. I'm going to make it stupid simple, and I'm not even going to worry about it. I'm going to keep it just like that. When it comes to sequencing everything else, I mean, same thing. I I try to get the velocity about as high as I want to, and I control the volume some some other way. I generally don't, I will someday get into stuff that's more emotional based, you know, like soundtrack, emotional type kind of things where you have swelling, things kind of come up and so forth. Um, I can just control that with the fader on the mix and so forth, but you know, if I need that, I'll cross that bridge someday. I looked into getting a huge Oberheim, I forget the model number, but it's an old, um, uh, MIDI controller. It has a few mm-hmm. sounds on board, and it the bottom of it is the case. So it like has a top, mm. and the bottom itself, like the wow. keyboard, is actually built into the case. 
they had one <laughs> in my in the old city I was living in, and I probably could have picked it up for maybe four or five hundred bucks, but it doesn't have aftertouch uh-huh. at all. And I was like, if this I want to get a keyboard like that, I mean, move over, you know. But it, the keys were weighted; mm-hmm. they felt great. Ooh, yeah, but you know, like you waiting. wouldn't you want them to have aftertouch? Wouldn't, wouldn't you feel like you're kind of you know? And it, the thing weight must have weighed 150, 200 pounds. Wow. <laughs> um, but I'll end it by saying that I now have my wind controller, and I now have it set up so I can sequence anything I want to with the wind controller. Cool. So I play saxophone. You know, that's how that's how I started. So I can just you know maybe that's why I'm into monophonic stuff too. And, and it goes to MIDI. It it can be written down in MIDI on your pyramid and yes, it's it's yeah. amazing. It's 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 hard to explain. I'm using a um, a, a a Bluetooth MIDI adapter uh-huh. okay. because even though the device has radio audio out like like a radio signal, it uh-huh. does not have Bluetooth MIDI built in. And I think they did that because it's uh, power considerations. Because it like, you know, it does drain the battery more. Yeah. Yeah. The thing about a keyboard, I would love to get like a weighted one. So it kind of feels like a piano. Like Yeah, that's the way to go, right? Yeah. It it would be kind of neat to just feel it, you know. Like I do enjoy like the uh I have the complete control. Uh I don't I think it's the S sixty one. It's semi weighted. It's nice and it's uh it's quick and everything. But like a real nice keyboard would be like a weighted one with the weights in it. That'd be really cool. And aftertouch, you said has it has aftertouch in it as well. Now, how how much like do you need aftertouch? And you know, in your situation, do you really care about aftertouch, or is that kind of like just a nice add-on? Absolutely not. But why mm. would I want weighted keys if it didn't have aftertouch? Mm. Yeah. What I mean yeah, by I, I mean, mean, you know, what's the point of enjoying uh, the, you know, the dynamics well, that the way the keys give you? I mean, you know, you're always they... going to get like the same velocity, right? And it might feel nice, but mm-hmm. at the expense of everything, of the real estate that I'm using for such a key bed, no, it, it needs to have aftertouch. Yeah. Even if I don't yeah. use it. In general, uh, weighted keys are, are like the for the piano feel are like not the same as we, as the synth keys that we want aftertouch with because the, the waiting is about the it feeling like a piano and so aftertouch know, but won't really that. come into effect but it does like on the what the yamahas do that all the, the yamaha workstations probably the good korg workstations but i don't know um because uh so where i worked only had the yamahas but yeah yeah that, that would definitely that. fully polyphonic too <laughs> yeah so, you know, like, so here's the thing, like, you know, why not just play piano at that point? True. Yeah. Um, like, if right, I, really I don't want wanted that expression. Weighted. Yeah. Like, like yeah, like, so um, what I've been, what I've been doing instead is instead of like trying to, to, to go for that feel that you get from an acoustic mechanical type kind of thing is to just chew it all together and do the exact opposite and just embrace you know, uh, programming everything uh-huh. in that sense. Yeah, programming mm-hmm. your expression, or, or or doing it from something else besides the key. Exactly. Instead of inst- like um, get the expression in there through filter sweeps, adding some resonance, adding effects to it. Ah, 
you know, it, um, it, I don't know, man. It's it's. I yeah. find there's a whole other vast or broad array to, to, to discover using that kind of technique. Okay. I've, I've never liked aftertouch. I've always hated aftertouch, particularly <laughs> hated it. I, the, my only experience with it is to hate it when, and is, is when it comes in when I don't want it to. And because my system one, by default, it, it goes detune. It's to de- mm. detune. Oh, to detune the key. Okay. So if I press down too hard on a key, that could be kind of cool too, anything. though. It could be. It'd be better if it went up or something. Then you could hit like a key down and go up. How so I've always thought like otherwise. separate that expression from the keys. Dang it! Like I don't want that. Like when I don't want it, I want to be able to play like this and know that I'm never, I'm not going to accidentally hit an after touch thing. You know, yeah. that's what I've always felt. Except for now, this has poly after touch, and. Oh my gosh! You should okay. The all right. I'm gonna I'm gonna plug this one guy's channel. Um, okay. It's and echo, all one word, and just like you, audio surgeon, he has the mm-hmm. the capital E in the middle. So and oh, really? capital E <laughs> echo, and Is capital it? and or capital A and capital E echo. But it's one word. So okay. and echo, and he is putting the the. The Launchpad Mark III, which has poly aftertouch buttons, with the peak, and it becomes this amazing expressive instrument. And before that, he used the Linstrument. Same mm, thing. Okay. That is one that I look at and I go, okay, no, that's daunt. That overwhelms me. That is- so I'm going to get a Mark III. Cool. I'm going to get the Linstrument. Yeah. Because and uh, and the poly the aftertouch will just be oh, a, an added bonus. Uh, getting the Launchpad Pro Mark III, that uh, that'll just be an added bonus having that poly aftertouch. But um, but yeah, so on, so so that's what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna play the peak with buttons. When the fact is, I've always kind of felt so and so about buttons because I get a little bit tired from pressing them for over an hour or so on the circuit. Now, do you mean the pads or do you mean button buttons? But. The pads, the pads. Okay. Um, I mean, underneath them, there's like, well, it depends. Sometimes the pads, it's not just a simple button underneath But them. the Pro the Mark Three, they're better than the other launch pads, like way better. Like ultra sensitive when you just play, barely touch it. Mm, nice. Mm-hmm. To, to all the way down. Yeah. So it'll be, a, if it's a good pro, in, pro controller like that, it's a, like, which it just seems like watching all the videos of people, it's just like, whoa, yeah. This is way better than the other launch pads and feels better. So that's why I'm going I'm going to go with that for after for aftertouch and actually be cool with aftertouch now because of this. Because the so patches actually are cool. Uh-huh. It's per patch has either aftertouch thing or it doesn't have an aftertouch thing and it's off. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Much better than that, the system one in my experience. Yes. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. I would agree with that. I want to mention real quick the Microfreak has aftertouch. I don't know if you knew that or not. Hmm. Yeah, depending upon the amount of surface area that you you cover. Oh. Well, it has pressure sensitivity, but do they call it no, aftertouch? It's not pressure sensitive. Okay, it's the amount it's of surface area okay. that you you okay. cover that yeah. causes the capacitance. So it increases oh, the capacitance the more that you huh. the more that you cover the the, the pad. Right. The, the, excuse That's me, the right. key with. Mm-hmm. So if you just like touch it down, then you can like do this with it and kind of rock your finger back and forth. 
Uh, yeah, I've, I've shown the micro freak to a number of people, and the first thing they do is they're just like stab, stab, yeah. stab, and I'm like, no, no, no. <laughs> That's why I had a hard time with it. I think is just I didn't, I couldn't get it down. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes those touch strip, like uh, piano things, whatever. Uh, I kind of don't know if I would really like that so much, but. You know, it's I've never really tried it, so I guess I can't say anything about it. But would you recommend the Micro Freak? I mean, is it cool to have, like, just in general? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I've been hearing yeah, a lot of down. hype on it. Yeah. You can get a used one for under 250 yeah. oh, uh, Okay, here's something interesting I'd like to talk about real quick before we wrap up. We can go as long as you guys want. So the Micro Freak has two options to power. You can either use USB, which is 5 volts. Mm-hmm. Or it comes with a 12-volt adapter, uh, mm-hmm. PSU, power supply unit, whatever. 12 volts is a lot. So, you know, like, that's more than 9 volts. Now, one thing I've noticed is that, um, like, some guitar pedals that are, like, especially all analog, some uh, compressors and overdrives, they give you an option of going between 9 volts to 12, all the way up to 18 volts. And with those, it actually makes sense to use as high of a voltage as, as you are allowed to use because it increases the headroom that it's working within to amplify your signal. Mm-hmm. So this, in turn, you know, like equates to how much signal is pumping out of that device. So how much, yeah. how strong is that signal coming out of the, out of the microfreak? Well, it doesn't matter a sack of beans if on the other side of that. 12 volt adapter or uh, jack is a 5 volt regulator it sucks actually what that means is all that 12 volts is just immediately getting knocked down to 5 volts and it's wasted power well at least you don't have an inconsistency in how it sounds and the volume when you plug it into different things like the the 101 I have inconsistency okay well then there's yeah you'd want to go with the higher voltage then as long as it's always want to go with the higher voltage yeah. So in this case, in the past, this whole past year, I've been powering the Microfreak with uh, with the USB 5 volts. Mm-hmm. And I haven't noticed any issues whatsoever. I mean, it hasn't mm-hmm. been quiet or, like, distorted cool. or clipped or anything. And, like, you know, something, you know, it's been fine. So um, I'm questioning, well, why would I want to, you know, why would I want to waste all that power? And they give you this big honk. And look at this thing. This is the power supply. It came with it. It's one of these jobbies that has, um, you know, one of these, I don't know what this yeah. is called, what that, that end connector is called. It's not like the standard ones that you can plug into a computer or like a huh. TV monitor. Yeah. Well, is it and because it's all digital? No. I mean, that it wouldn't that's matter? just it. No. You see, like most digital mm-hmm. stuff runs off of five volts. Yeah. Well, that's what I'm saying. It's all digital, right? So why I mean, is this the 12 volts? The microfreak, right. So why is this 12 <laughs> volts? I mean, nine volts. I, I could understand. I wouldn't. I wouldn't be asking any questions because nine volt is very standard. Well, no, twelve, 12 volts is the standard. No, not really. All my uh, like the mini brutes, twelve okay, volt. Okay. The the mono standard, stations, twelve volt. The all the synthes- standard ones, for a, for the beefier ones, like all of my analog. You know, the DFAM, the subharmonicon, all the Behringers. They're all twelve volts. See what I'm saying? Now, here's, here's the difference. Yeah. Here's the difference. Mm-hmm. Take the, um, the, at, the at Megatron, the Soulsby at Megatron. 
that is one that uses. I mean, it, it's in the name at Megatron. It uses the the um, the at the AT Mini chip inside of it, which is what is used in the Arduinos. The Arduinos use the AT chip. Um, they just use it and provide it like an interface that's really easy for people to use to to inter, just to interface with it, digitally and analog. Mm-hmm. So the Soulsby makes no bones about that it's using essentially an Arduino inside of it, which, you know, you could build a, an Arduino synthesizer for 10 bucks. And so I was looking at this thing, and once I started, you know, like learning electronics and discovering this stuff, and I looked at the at Megatron, I was like, oh, geez, well, maybe this isn't all that great of a synthesizer after all. I mean, it is. But when I opened it up and looked on the inside, because it too takes 12 volts. But it does not power off of five volts whatsoever. It doesn't give you an option to go between either one or the, uh, or the other. It's actually using analog filters, and it's using that twelve volts to get that headroom that I was talking about mm-hmm. to, to to take the signal and to apply the filters. Right. So that you get like a beautiful. Well, you can. Well, and I'm speaking out of my range yeah. now. I'm not exactly sure how that equates to the sound. No, I've what totally actual qualities. Yeah, there I totally are. understand that. But it's better. <laughs> So that makes sense if you see what I'm saying. Like when I discovered that and I looked at it, I said, okay, this 12 volts makes sense. For the Microfreak, though, I'm still thinking, nope, nope, I'm not going to power it with 12 volts. I'm going to power it with, I'm going to continue powering it with 5 volts. Yeah. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, it, I read the, the instructions, the manual, you know, just get some kind of a clue as to what it wanted to do. And it doesn't really speak too much on it, but then it says, oh, and it's so convenient, you can just power it with your, you know, any power bank when you're on the go and everything. So I'm like, well, why would you not just power it that way when you're mm-hmm. in the go? And it doesn't have onboard effects. No. So you don't have to worry about powering that. Sure. No, it does have filters though. Okay. But they're all digital. Hmm. Yeah. Right. Cool. Yeah. So the, I mean, the only thing I, I, I have to, at this point, I have to crack it open and follow on the circuit board, see if I can figure out if there's a voltage regulator in there right on the on the first thing that the dc jack sees would be a voltage sure. regulator yeah there may and be it, some of that signal going out somewhere else yeah you know which is what happens in the at megatron because you see arduinos can only be powered off of 5 volts if you give them more than 5 volts they blow up they don't blow up <laughs> but they they smoke <laughs> yeah uh, i'm the totally DCs, lost when, oh. it, when it comes to power stuff, I have no idea. <laughs> it's confusing until you realize how simple it is. It's so yeah. sad, you know, because it's like, I wish I could just go, boop, there you go. But yeah, like like three years ago, I was on the same side of the fence. Mm-hmm. I would just be like, oh, nope, 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 nope. And again, you know, I got into this to learn how synthesizers work. Just I'm going to make oscillators. I'm not going to do that power stuff because that's how you get shocked. It's dangerous. And then I, one of the first things I realized is, that, oh, power is an oscillator too. Yeah, ju- just recently my microwave actually broke, and I was thinking I could probably fix it. Let me open it up and just check and see what's in there. No, what's broke? No, no. And I was like, Nah, <laughs> no thanks. I don't want to die today. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Don't. I heard. Hope. I heard you have to like, like what do you call short? Like there's something in there you have to actually short out so the electricity isn't flowing through it. And it's like I'd rather not. No thanks. There is some box inside of every microwave that you do not mm-hmm. want to open up because it has cancerous material inside of it. Ooh, that's not good either. Yes, yes. So, like, you oh. really want to know what you're doing in a microwave. They're really not totally that possible. dangerous. 
I will say this though. Okay, so I have a Geiger counter. I now have a Geiger counter, and I tested it on the microwave. So I tested, I turned it on, spun around the microwave, didn't get any clicking, nothing, nothing going on. Put some hot water in the microwave, started it up. Click, 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 click. There's definitely radiation coming out near the microwave. As I walked away from it, just just about this far, no more radiation being detected. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I've I always told mi- people start stand stand away from your microwave when you're using it. Like it's a real yes. thing. Like you don't you can't you don't just not worry about it. Oh no, it, this is safe because it's in a ha- it's in our house and they sell it to us. No. Yes. There's also a reason why it beeps several times, and it's not to tell you that it's finished, right? It's to say, wait until it's done beeping, now open the door, because sure. now the radiation has cleared. And yeah. the other thing is that then, you know, so I, like, tested with, with the Geiger counter while it was off, and you could, and it fades away. Mm. And then the final test was to put it near the water itself, and it was still a little radioactive. That's why you want to wait about 30 seconds to a minute before you start eating your food out of a microwave. <laughs> yeah. Otherwise, they're perfectly safe, I think. Don't yeah. quote me on that, people in the future. Well, that's the way to be really, <laughs> really, really safe if you are worried about it. I barely yeah. use Hey, them. I don't use a microwave. Yeah, same here. I, I usually use like a toaster oven or something like that. I barely use a microwave. I mean... Yeah, I don't have one here at my new place at all. Yeah. So, I don't mind them. I just don't. I'm like, you know, it, for me, it's more of a, a lifestyle like I'm, I have to force myself, you know, to get in my car and drive to a fast food mm-hmm. restaurant and go through the drive-through. Uh, I like, <laughs> I like that it has a little clock on it, and so I always know what time it is on the microwave. So that's a nice. Right. <laughs> that's all I use it for. <laughs> the, there are these rice bowls at Costco where you can just eat, you 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 flip up the little peel up the little top a little bit on the side of it. Put it in the yeah. microwave 90 seconds, and it's the nicest, stickiest rice you've ever – it's no no Uncle Ben or anything like that. This is like good stuff. And so I get these little bowl, rice bowls from Costco, and it's just rice. And just put it in 90 seconds, boom, you're done. Really sticky rice. It's great. Man, Costco is awesome. I got to go there soon. <laughs> they have so many wanna, cool things. I want a rice a rice cooker. Uh-huh. Yeah. That's oh, what yeah. I get is a rice cooker. Yeah. Or – I do have like this, uh, it's a pressure cooker and it's, it makes the best rice too. So like you can, you can get like just a rice cooker that works awesome. But like this one that I have, it does everything. It's like beans. You can do like soups. You can do anything, uh-huh. but it does rice. Awesome. It does. Yeah. It could be a, a crock pot too. Yeah. Yeah. Also a crock pot. Uh huh. Is this cool? Ooh, yeah. Ghost pepper ramen Ghost noodles. Pepper. <laughs> Oh boy! <laughs> oh my nice. goodness! Yeah, I thought about maybe like eating those on Twitch once I start streaming. <laughs> yeah, because like, like on Twitch you have like rewards that you can do. Like like you, the longer you stay in chat, uh, hint, uh-huh. hint people in chat, uh, the more points you you gather, and then you can use these points to reward to uh, redeem rewards. Uh-huh. So I can set it up like after a thousand points, you can make me eat spicy ramen noodles or something. Oh my goodness! That kind of stupid stuff. <laughs> Yep. But I actually ate one of these before, and I survived. Oh man, how and, was it? Oh, man, these are really good noodles. It even the fork is it, like it's bent in half. It's got like a, a, a oh hinge, uh-huh. and it pulls up. It's a tiny little fork, but they're really ah, high cool. quality noodles, and the heat is unreal. 
I mean, the heat yeah. is absolutely unreal. You just, I mean, I just ate it as fast as I could. And I had there some was, rice water to help cool it uh-huh. down. I had to drink like 32 ounces of rice water. There was a point in time where my wife and I were actually eating habanero, like peppers. Mm-hmm. And we would just like try to eat like one every day and then get used wow. to it. Yeah. Oh, now I'm, I'm, I mean, I eat like jalapenos all the time now. So I have no problem with that. But if you, if you do have a problem with them, yeah, that's not fun. But we tried to take the like seeds out of the habanero. Of, of any of them, I would always no. remove the seeds. We yeah, it makes them a we, little We would milder. just pop the whole thing, oh and God. then just like suffer through it. But after a while, <laughs> you'd be surprised. You start to kind of like get used to it. Yeah. Now yeah. it takes like almost like a month to to really get used to the the spiciness and all that stuff. But uh, yeah, it's kind of like an interesting thing to try out if you're brave enough, oh. I guess. <laughs> it's if funny it how your body you, does I think get it's used good to for it. you. Yeah. Yeah. You know, but be yeah. careful if if you touch them, like for instance, you cut them and the stuff's on your hands. If you touch your face, you will just be like on fire. Your eyes will just like it's bad. Yeah, like you don't want that. The um, <laughs> while we're on the topic of just strange random stuff, you know, like it's an oil. Like when you touch that yeah. stuff, it's an yeah. oil. So yeah. when you go to wash it off, you got to wash it off. Like uh-huh. you have to visualize that Real you've good. got motor oil. Mm-hmm. on your skin mm-hmm. and you could see that you would know how much it you know like how much soap and water it takes to get that off Same thing oh yeah with poison ivy mm-hmm. you get like yeah. if you get poison ivy on you you've you gotta like scrub really hard and then you won't have a really bad allergic reaction to it yeah it's the same thing with cat yeah. food i uh, i have to feed my my cats uh, wet cat food now and uh if you get it on your hands you can't just wash it off with with water because it's the oil <laughs> and it's yeah. like it's like oh my cat God. food is I, <laughs> What's that doing it's inside fish. the cat? <laughs> oh, it's man. Great. Yeah. Fish oil. Like, it's great. I had a cat a long time ago, uh, and he used to go to the uh, <laughs> he used to go to the uh, the laundry baskets. And yeah, if he needed to use the restroom, he'd go in there. You would smell it. Oh, it would it would clear the house. It would be bad. <laughs> oh my god, my neighbor's cat. He has a Maine Coon. He's only one year old, and he's like this big. Uh huh. Yeah. I mean, he is huge. And yeah. This he this used cat. the litter box a while back, and he he cleared. He not we we. I was like, I'm out. Oh, I'm out. Yeah. I got to go. Yeah. I'm out yeah, of here. Yeah. This cat that you just saw yeah. is a Maine Coon, but she is the smallest Maine Coon ever. She was the runt, like total runt. They're usually huge, and she's like small for some reason. I don't know why. She's a big cat. But, yeah. For a runt. But, right, but but Maine Coons get that much bigger. It's yeah. Crazy. And he's still growing. He's not finished growing either. Mm-hmm. Yeah, cats. But hey, cats. Yeah. Cats and synthesizers, <laughs> you know? Seriously. They go together. And that's why I had to yeah. get the cat. Mm-hmm. When I saw the cat, I was like, it was like, okay, I don't need the synthesizer. I mean, I was like, <laughs> one of the first things I thought about, okay, you've got the Model D, the K2, the cat, the wasp. What's the overlap? <laughs> you know, how do these all not sound exactly the same? Right, and I was shocked at how vastly different they are from each other. Uh huh. And I'm still I, shocked at how yeah. vastly different they are from each other. I, th- I see the cat easy. as like the micro or the 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 mini the mini brute or the micro brute in your uh, form. I would out out of those four, the cat is my favorite. The Model D is the one that I've had the most time, and I've grown to really love it. But I, the cat is the one that just. I was like, oh, I had no idea I could do this. And 
it's uh, LFO goes so fast and so slow. And it shows you the actual, like, it, it brags about how slow it goes. So it's like 0.2 hertz or something. <laughs> <laughs> That's nice. Oh, my gosh. You, you, you never get a slow enough LFO. Right. Mm-hmm. And uh, the way that it mixes the two oscillators together, you can get that really cool uh, chiptune type kind of effect. Because that's one of the qualities of chiptunes is that you don't have polyphony at all. You know, a lot of the stuff, you've, you know, you've got, I mean, you do, but like you have to stack a lot of the sounds so that they don't overlap each other. Mm-hmm. That's one of the tricks to getting authentic chiptune sounds is, is not allowing the sounds to, you know, is to put this restriction of polyphony upon yourself. Actually, sure. that would be more like multi-temporality almost. And I think if you do that, you'll find that your songs are actually sounding a lot more chiptune already because it's that back and forth, that and fast back and forth too because that's part of the thing is that they didn't want it to sound like anything was lacking, like any one particular part was missing. So it was like at a fast kind of rate. So laying down each each line each li- uh, line separately, each like melodic line separately that are going at the same time. You you're laying them down separately as you're composing, so it's kind of like they're playing yeah. with each other. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like uh, get like like an actual uh, uh, SID chip emulator, like for your, mm-hmm. your computer or something, and try to program it. You know, and it, uh, hopefully it will be like one that has all the limitations. It's not trying to, you know, uh, improve upon the limitations. I found a nice VST. It's called Basic 64 or 65, something like that. And it's uh, really nice for chiptune sounds. And you can just throw that right into your, like, uh, you know, your DAW or whatever. And it's like instant gratification. um, (laughs) You just, like, have the sounds, though, right? You're not actually... You can adjust some stuff, but I don't don't really know. Like, like it's the sequencer that I'm talking about. Because, like, when, when, when they made the music for these games back in the day... Yeah. Right. They had to use what was on Trackers. board of the computer or the console, like Atari Twenty Six Hundred, for example, mm-hmm. whatever it had to offer. And yeah. this is why why they did those things is because they ran uh-huh. into all of these limitations. Well, yeah. So the because, tracker workflow people are trying people are 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 picking up on the PolyN tracker and hardware where that actually is a lot more in- intuitive than a tracker I've, ever was. And yes. but it still sounds different because they you're gonna you're laying down the parts separately and laying down the parameters separately and that's so the right. notes play with mm-hmm. each other in a different way. That's like the important thing game. about using the poly and tracker is to use it as a tracker. Yeah. I mean you can take anything you want to and try to do traditional songwriting with it, you know, or like recording looping MIDI type kind of style with it. Like I wouldn't use a track I would I would actually try to like type in stuff. You know what I mean? Like they did with the tracker. I wouldn't want to actually record MIDI from a controller into the poly, and I'd want to actually, you know, do it the hard way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that that's fun too. Yeah, I've, I've seen those. No, it's horrible. Poly- it's terrible. It's not fun at all. <laughs> well, <laughs> if you know what you're doing, but uh, yeah, Enrique, like, it can it, it can become fun once you get better yeah. at it. Enrique Martinez yeah. made it look like it was easy, and made made me feel like I I could understand what I was looking at when he was yeah. doing it. But nobody else so far, except for that one video that I saw like last week, and it was like, oh yeah, well that well, that sounds like just fun and like you can do it. You could even do it live, you know. Yeah, you, just yeah, coming you up with a track and watching somebody come up with a track. He did a good job of just making it seem smooth and comfortable. Wasn't wasn't that look mug, look mum no computer guy using one of those things too? Yeah. Oh, he's one. Yeah. yeah. He's all it about lo- that kind of stuff. Yeah. He it was looks like, cool. 
it looks cool, but yeah, like I mean, when you're talking about it, it's it's really complicated. Just understanding what's he, happening there. And all yeah, that. he's always had the nerd sack, which is the mm-hmm. Eurorack version of a tracker. Yeah, yeah, and it yeah. has a big screen. That's what, that, mm-hmm. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. what. And uh, uh, trackers, I think, were more popular, like in the late '80s, early '90s in Europe, than they were here in the United States. There was plenty of that going on here in the United States, but I really, you know, I watched a documentary. I can't remember what it's called. But it was mainly a – I can't really remember what it was about. It was a very vague documentary, but part of it was talking about the actual tracker culture. And um, people would um, use trackers to build demos that they would trade about and they would send to each other. And uh, these were the same people that would crack the games, you see. This is where we started getting into controversy. Mm. So all of the old computer games that you um, – had to order like directly from the companies, or just go to your local mall and get them at some computer store or something. You know, they were all they. You had cracked versions if you could get onto a BBS and had a like a, a probably a watch line, so you didn't have to pay for the long distance connection because you would be up all night long, my friends. That is, you know, downloading one of these games, and they would be uh, cracked so that you didn't have to have the disc inside your the actual. Yeah disc i can't remember what it was on there or something but whatever those were so the, the days people that would crack it they would always do a demo at the beginning of it because they were like hey i took all this time to crack this and they were also i guess kind of like into making music jamming you know they were like mm-hmm. some of the early early hardware hardware jammers maybe the first hardware jammers if we think about it because i mean in terms of that kind of music and that kind of underground culture well accessibility at home and that yeah so um but have you guys? You guys have seen these. What? Did, I'm sorry. Uh, you you cut out, Hayes. Yeah, I think I can't hear you, Hayes. On this thing, might have went out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's all good. Batteries. Yeah. that's batteries for you. <laughs> yeah, but batteries are good because you can just yeah. you yeah. know. Hopefully, you can just recharge them. <laughs> I like rechargeable ones. Yeah, that'd be nice. Yeah, that would be nice, actually. Yeah. I get, <laughs> I just get the, get them in bulk at Costco. Like, yeah, same just get I twenty get at ones. a time. Yeah, I get those too. Can you hear me? Uh huh. Yep. Awesome. <laughs> but uh, yeah, are... have you guys seen demos for these games that I'm talking about? For like the Commodore 64. That's probably before your time. And they're highly illegal, so... <laughs> it's before my time. I was a kid. Yeah. You know, I haven't I tried this. We, we, we could probably go to YouTube and do a search for, like, tracker demo. And I guarantee you that people have been uploading these demos that I'm talking about. Like, just take them to video and then upload that to YouTube for posterity. Mm-hmm. And, oh, they're amazing stuff. Like, not just only the music is, is really great. Great early techno but you've got a lot of great visuals that they did as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, so what do you guys? Uh, what do you? What are you um, feeling like you need right now? What are you gassing for? <laughs> what are you thinking? Honest- like you're missing, or or like, what, what are you thinking? Honestly, like right now, I think I'm just complete right now. Uh, th- I. I really don't utilize everything that I'm using right now, like such as like analog hardware and stuff. I've been mostly doing stuff like, well, really just podcasting and a little bit of music on my computer, but uh, I do have to get back on the gear 
that's just one thing I've been kind of not doing lately is actually just doing things in a live environment. So, but yeah, uh, nothing really right now. Just, just waiting for the next time to get back on it. Yeah, the Micro Freak sounds kind of cool, but I mean, right now I think I'm all invested in some other things, so I'm going to I'm going to cool it for a while. I've been spending way too much money lately. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I need infrastructure. I've got yeah. plenty, but I need um a way to get my cameras set up. Camera? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I don't know if that counts or not in terms of like Yes, it sets does. that I don't need that I want. Well, definitely the Pulsar twenty three. Mm. Uh, but I'm I'm glad that I didn't get one. I could have I could have probably could have one have had one right now. I was on the pre order. I, sh- I I declined when the time came around because I didn't have the money, and then bam, I had the money like right after I declined. Well, maybe it's and a it was sign. Too late. Yeah, I think it was right, and uh, I also passed on on getting a Centrax. And I think what it is, I just said to myself, you know what. The 2000 mark, I'm not ready for it yet. Mm. I'm, I like keeping it little, you know, I've got a few things that are about the one grand and it's, they're kind of like, Ooh, that's a lot of money. Yeah. So, so if you get anything, I mean, it's pretty much what you'd think you'd be thinking of is you're just kind of like got your, got your feelers out there for anything that's new and different and, and adds something that's never been something unique and, uh, and cool. Yeah. You know? <laughs> like, I'm pretty much good to go. I mean, um, Behringer keeps has lately been kind of irking me because uh-huh. they're coming out with these Mark IIs, but their Devilfish TD3, uh, I don't see how that's not going to end up in my arsenal at some point. Yeah, you know, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna go out of my way to get one now. They probably won't be shipping for any time soon. But the way I look at it is maybe two years from now, maybe even sooner than two years from now. Get one on reverb used for pretty darn cheap. Yeah, but I'd yeah. rather mod my own. Is the thing really? But that's yeah, gonna be a you hard would rather thing mod to, your own. Yes. It's gonna be a hard thing to mod though, because it's all it's all SMD. It's yeah, all maybe you can't mod there. it the way they the way they the way it is. Maybe you can't mod it to the extent that the MO did. It, you can, but it would be really hard to do. You totally could if they did. Yeah, somebody else could, but. Man, you got to like you got to sit there and and measure everything three times because once you drill it right, once you drill those mm-hmm. holes, yeah. And uh, so they've got they probably have a they probably had a PCB actually specially printed for this. They I guarantee they probably didn't do the yeah. modifications. They just had it manufactured that way. Yeah, but that's why I thought it was really cool because it's like the circuit bent one that you don't have to circuit bend. It right. I mean, you look at it you're like hmm, a little see, overdrive. Okay. What did I do with my January this year? Like when I went through 30 different uh, overdrive and distortion and fuzz pedals, different varying kind of, you know, areas of tone, tonalities. Um, it's very interesting how like two different distortion pedals can, but they do, they really do money going through pedals trying to find the right one with their, uh, with their setup. So when I look at the, the devil fish and everything, I'm like, well, that's just, it's like you added a fuzz distortion or like an overdrive there. The sub oscillator is interesting, but how beefy is it? How beefy can it really be, that sub oscillator that they added? I'd argue, eh. Have you seen uh, comparison videos? Not yet, no. I saw a couple. And, and, I, but you never know from those either, of course. I kind of stopped watching those a long time ago, to yeah. tell you the truth. I mean, I, I, 
won't – I mean, I don't avoid them intentionally. It's just now I'm at the point to where it doesn't even cross my mind to go look for one. Mm. You see what I'm saying? Every once in a while, I'll be curious about something, and I might check out some demo video uh, just to get an idea. But one thing I've learned is that ears are deceiving across the Internet. And mm-hmm. you don't mm-hmm. – it's like it's not until you actually physically – operate yep. the device i don't think you really really get to know what it's really capable of doing yeah totally i mean you can you can divine from from your own ideas about that person's uh, situation however they made a video everything's diff- always different and you can ma- you can maybe see like how they did it and how they explain well i did this but i didn't do that or something like that and then you can glean from it some things but but never the whole picture never how it's going to be for you um nope and how's it going to fit into your and how's it going to gel into your um, into your existing setup? Yeah. Well, you said the Pulsar twenty three. I yeah that the, if I um, am not done yet, uh, I'm pretty much done, done, done. If I you know if I use my I can always use my MC one hundred and one as a drum machine for mm-hmm. drum patterns and stuff like that. But um, I just need I still need a, a dedicated drum machine. That's just my drum machine, and I'm going to go with the TR six S still. Um, and since it doesn't have the velocity sensitive pads, I'll I'll do MIDI into it with pads that are velocity sensitive, and it'll be fine. Nice. But I just love the way it works. I love I'm the TR8s. You, you don't you don't need velocity sensitivity for drums, anyways. Uh, not necessarily. It, it's really quick to even uh, program it in on the fly while it's playing too. Oh uh, no, I, I believe you. Um, like playing drums, though, like there's generally only about like three sound levels that I go for. Mm-hmm. Like hard, medium, and like barely audible. Yeah, and that that's gets a good you, way. To... That will get you by, you know, because they're just drums. That's what I keep trying to tell people. It's like they're just drums, they're and just I can't drums. really explain what I mean by that. It's like <laughs> when I say why, drums are dumb. I don't know? understand the yeah. It's like why are you racking your brain around 150 different kick drums that aren't quite right? Right. <laughs> 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 just just make it it's a, it's a you know if you were real life you wouldn't be able to do that <laughs> no it's Wake true up call. It's, yeah yeah it's true it's true it's just a uh, drum you know, <laughs> you know sometimes I you know like somebody asks a question I think you might like you know if I tune my bass drum you know to a note mm-hmm. and what what I found that I might do is I might um, like okay so like a bass drum you have a decay Especially like take the TR-808, yeah. for example. It's well known for its decay. It's really nice to have that decay out so you can hear it yeah. and then get it close tune and then knock that decay way off so you don't even hear it as a note anymore. And that, that'll keep it from fighting you know, with any frequencies. But mm-hmm. other than that, no, not really. I'm looking yeah, the 808, you can hear it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Mr. Surgeon, any thoughts on drums? I used to have a drum set, but not anymore. Uh, I tried what to brand? pick it up. Uh, it was a Yamaha, and nice. I had a Tama. It was a Tama snare, and then I I kind of named it the the Tamaha. Uh-huh. So it was kind of funny. <laughs> the like Tamaha. Uh-huh. Yeah. That's a cool name. <laughs> <laughs> it was nice, you know. I mean, I I had fun with it, but it just it took up a lot of room in my, in my house, and I was you know kind of just getting into synthesis at the time as well. So I was like, let's take this to a different level and maybe get like a drum machine and then I'll just uh, 
work with all digital stuff. So yeah, I mean, it worked out. I got a sub thirty seven for it, so I was I was pretty happy with it. So okay, yeah, but it was yeah, fun for the most trade. part. Yeah. Uh, how I many thought, symbols roughly? Like just like a couple crashes, riding high hats. Yeah, I had like, uh, let me see, two crash, uh, high hat, and some other thing. I think they call it like an ozone or something. It was a ride so, symbol, probably. It's like a ride. Okay, yeah, actually, yeah. Probably. yeah. yeah so yeah, that's like that. that's a darn good trade, I think. Yeah, yeah. I had I had everything. I even had like a double double bass pedal for it too. Okay, and <laughs> that thing was actually probably the most expensive piece to it <laughs> that's yeah, great so I'm you could be like tool and or you could just microwave popcorn yeah and get the same sound <laughs> yeah it was fun you know uh for the time being and uh yeah it was just an interesting time in my life when i had it so i kind of took my aggressions out on it it was kind of fun <laughs> Oh, dude, yeah, man. Drums are great for that. You mm-hmm. actually sweat. Yeah, yeah. I was kind of thinking it'd be a, like a good way to like work out in a way, so I think. It does. <laughs> it's it's horrible for the midsection, though. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> There's a lot of fat yeah. drummers out there. They got strong <laughs> arms and legs, though. <laughs> yeah, that's true. In that fact, I'm true. sitting on a drum throne right now. It's. I still have my drum throne, actually, yeah. That's the one thing I did keep. I ke- I kept my sticks and I kept my drum throne, just as a nice reminder not to go and buy an expensive drum kit again. <laughs> you know, those um, the reason why I don't have one of those like Alesis strike pads or the Roland Octa, whatever those things are, Octopads, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, uh-huh. is um, because like they don't really come with corresponding feet units, so to speak. Like, it's really hard to find a good bass drum trigger type kind of thing. Roland actually makes really good ones. I don't know that they make them anymore, but the Roll. old TD7-lined was really good. But you have to have a special beater yeah. that where the um, the shaft is angled down, and it beats this mm-hmm. way. But they're probably the best ones out there because um, they don't push away. That's a problem. Like, when you're playing, you need something that's reliable. It stays steady. It's, it's like, yeah. solid as concrete. Mm-hmm. Um, but otherwise, you know, they, they have the new ones with the mesh and everything, but like, I would recommend people like look into getting some, like one of those. I see a few people, a few jammers that have one of those, have a pair of sticks mm-hmm. and you can just play alongside whenever you want to with them. Yeah. I, I was thinking I should probably do that. But then if I did that, it was, it's just a, a huge jump from what I was thinking because it has its own onboard sounds and they're probably really good. So you just go with that. Mm-hmm. See, that's. Exactly. That's why I started getting this conundrum where I don't want onboard sounds. I just want the controller, you know, because now I'm like, oh, well, now I've got all these sounds that I have to think about. <laughs> I don't want to think, I don't want, I don't want to add these sounds. You know, I just want to use these sounds. Um, like, for example, my um, wind controller, it comes with its own unit that has a whole, like, five, no, a hundred different sounds. And it even has an editor where you can, you know, kind of make your own. I'm like, I don't, I don't even want to waste any time thinking about any of that stuff. You know, I just mm-hmm. want to use it as, as a controller to control the sounds that I'm already familiar with. Your redundancy sure. can really mess up, mess with your head, I think. I think mm-hmm. so. But um, yeah. I feel that the, the market out there, the manufacturers, they feel that we want 
all in one boxes. You know, like we're not like we're not going to want to pay that money unless it has all these extra features. We demand it all the time. Yeah, mm-hmm. we demand that 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 one product does another thing additionally along with it because as we're just talking about oh well it doesn't do this you know <laughs> yeah people <laughs> are wanting um like uh on the fly real-time time stretching for the s2400 the isla instruments s2400 sampler um they recently had a video update talking about the new firmware that came out that basically makes this a full-blown sequencer so it's yeah, now it's a sampler and cool. a sequencer Cool. But what people still want was the time stretch, and and what um, Brad and the team and what Brad and Vlad explained was is that what we can do is we can give you time stretch, but it's a feature where you actually just like, you know, like initiate it as a process. You can't do it live, in other words. And it's like, and we're ne- and you're never going to be able to do it live. Sorry, it's just not going to happen. You know. Mm-hmm. And I just don't like people. Unfortunately, like they just. They're not satisfied with that. You know what I mean? They don't understand, okay, well, why can't I do it here, but I can't do it here? And the answer is because the foundation never was there for it in the first place. But that's never going to be a satisfying answer for them, you know? Well, something They're based always on going to, so much off a vintage instrument like that, you shouldn't be like that. Okay, here's the thing, man. I totally agree, and I think that Brad and their team are just so nice because I would not be so nice to be like, hey, look <laughs> – this is an old vintage machine. It ain't supposed to do that. If you want that, go get an Akai MPC. But they work really Seriously. hard instead to try. You know, and get, buy both of them. Have two of them side by side. Uh-huh. Right? That's what I don't understand. Like it's, it's not that much more money to buy two of them. You buy one. Mm-hmm. You buy an. You got two thousand dollars into this. That's all you need right there for for production. <laughs> I think. Does an MPC have onboard effects? I'm uh, sure. Yeah. And then you can take the audio in from the sampler into that, and mm-hmm. you can do all your then take that back out and sample it again, and you know. Mm-hmm. Anyways. Yeah. Trying to wrap this up. How do we wrap this up? <laughs> yeah, uh, well, yeah. New layer. I think we've been going for like two hours. Yeah. I'm yeah. Two hours and go. ten minutes. Uh, this yeah. is perfect. Yeah. Perfect time. Yeah. To, time to end yeah. it. Thank you, everybody, for coming. Uh, Brett Lemmings, thanks for coming. Glory to glory to glory. I didn't mention that you've been here the whole time. Yeah. Thank you, guys. Great. Thank you. Yeah. Um and yeah, yeah. Yeah, we'll uh we'll keep I'll, I'll keep we'll keep you posted. I think we'll do some more of these. We'll 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 get more frequent with it. Yeah. <laughs> Cuz uh, I really enjoy yeah, talking for, with you guys. Uh, yeah, thanks for coming out of summer hybrid hibernation. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> totally. All righty, All right, everybody. Guys. Take it easy. Back to the hot tub. All right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds great. See you guys thanks later. Thanks everybody. Bye-bye. Nice seeing you. Thanks for enjoying the show with us today. So like I mentioned, you can check out Mr. Basic and Hayes Anderson on YouTube, and we'll hopefully do some more of these in the future. So I'm glad to see that you showed up and you enjoy the show. So if you like it, put that thumbs up. Uh, Go to Discord and talk about what you just heard, or just chill out in the uh, Life in Space podcast area on SoundCloud. So thanks again, and we'll see you on another episode. 